Welcome to episode 148 of the Hellabass Bastion Podcast, and today is a special episode where I have two of the greatest historical bass fishing minds on the show, and we talk world record bass, history of bass fishing, and a whole lot more. If you love bass fishing and you like history, you're going to love this show. Terry Batista and Ken Duke from the Big Bass Podcast. This week, the Hell of Ass Bass Fishing Podcast is brought to you by Arsenal Fishing. Arsenal Fishing offers premium custom-made performance apparel and tackle. Arsenal delivers a wide variety of custom-designed baits, accessories, and tools, along with unique utilitarian apparel for all outdoor enthusiasts. As part of their support, you can use code HELLABASS15 to save 15% on all purchases at arsenalfishing.com to support the show. Now let's get back to helping you catch more bass and suck less. Uh, or just StreamYard, how do we monitor comments? You'll see them. So we're, uh, <laughs> what's up everybody? Hell Bass Live. And uh, we're here to talk about big bass and just tournament fishing history, bass fishing history. And we got probably two of the most, foremost uh, brains on the topics, at least as far as I'm considered. I've uh, been a big fan of both of your guys' work for a long time. So whether my viewers like this show or not, I'm going to enjoy hanging out and chatting with you guys tonight. Uh, <laughs> Thank Rich, you. Rich, we're really looking forward to this. Thank you so much, man. We are we are uh, new and uh, inexperienced in the podcast world. As I said, we are swimming in your wake, my friend. Exactly. It's, uh, it's a privilege to be here. Yep. All right. Yep. So it's let's amazing. get this thing going. Yeah, quick introduction. I mean, uh, <laughs> people probably, if, if you're fans of BTL, you've seen Ken Duke on a few times. So Ken... Uh, Done a lot of writing, editorial stuff, long time with Bassmaster back in the day. Yeah. Just a stat guy. Like, I don't know what else you want to say. How, how do you introduce yourself, Ken? Uh, remarkably good looking. Um, uh, no, I, uh, yeah, I, I worked for BASS for a long time. I was a senior editor of publications there. I worked on the web. I did work with Bassmaster Magazine, work with Bass Times Magazine. I left that position in 2014 to go to work for Fishing Tackle Retailer Magazine, which is the industry, or North America's only business-to-business publication uh, about the fishing industry. And uh, kept my hand in the bass world because I love it so much. It's, it's my passion. And uh, now... I am, as I say, I'm, I'm trying to follow your lead in the podcast world because Terry and I have the Big Bass Podcast. Exactly. And then, yep. uh, Doctor Batisti, wh- wh- how do you introduce yeah, yourself? Yeah, uh, uh, it's Terry. You know, <laughs> when, when I when I'm at my day job, uh, sometimes I go by Doctor if I have to, uh, but generally, no, it's just Terry. Uh, I've been bass fishing since '74. When I was 10 years old, I got bit by the bug. Prior to that, I fished essentially anything that would, you know, eat a worm or cheese or what have you. Um, and then uh, fished tournaments. My first tournament I fished when I was 12 out at Castaic Lake. Uh, from there, joined a club. Fished, you know, you know, up until tournaments, up until probably I was, I don't know, in my, my late 30s, early 40s. Uh, then in 2000, I started writing. Uh, and kind of got bit by the writing bug and uh, wrote from 2000 to 2012 for, you know, pretty much every magazine and, and website that was out there. And then in 2012, I started a website called the Bass Fishing Archives. I'm a history geek, uh, not just a big fish geek, but a, a bass fishing history geek like 
like Ken is. And uh, ran that for about three years. My job took over my life and uh, dropped it. And then in 2001 or 2021, got the, uh, got the urge to get back into doing the Bass Fishing Archives again. My job had changed and that's where we're at. And then here mid last year, Ken approached me about doing the Big Bass podcast with him and I couldn't refuse. I mean, you've got Ken Duke that's, you know, probably the the leading historian uh, in, in the industry. And when he asks you to do something with him like that, then there's, you're an idiot if you if you don't do it. So I'd say Terry's the leading historian in the industry. But uh, when, I, I, when, I, when I went looking for a partner, there was only one choice. And uh, it's been a lot of fun. We've had a blast with it. And it's growing. It's getting there, you know, slowly but surely. We, Rich, we cracked 1,000 subscribers last week. So that was actually a... Yeah, pretty big deal for us. Um, nice. We yep. monetized. Uh, I checked the numbers. We we should earn a dollar and three cents this month. I'm not making that up. That's that's real. So <laughs> retirement from our regular jobs is imminent. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But, yeah, uh, I, I, I I haven't seen your numbers, but based on when I crossed the monetization threshold on YouTube, I totally believe you. So because. <laughs> Long form content doesn't do, uh, you don't, you know, you get a lot of watch hours, but you don't get a lot of views and you don't get many ad plays. So, <laughs> yeah, we're, yeah. you know, we're doing it for fun. I mean, if we had to rely on it for a living, we'd both be in a lot of trouble, right. but, um, but we're, we're, we're having fun with it. Our other partner, Nathan Benson kind of runs the tech end of everything, mm -hmm. but what I learned and, and, and I, I, it makes my admiration of you even larger, but how you do this by yourself, I cannot fathom because it takes the three of us to do what we do. That's why I rely on good guests. That's the key. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then when times get tough, you call us. I, I hear you. Right. I hear you. Yeah, but, but you know, this, the stuff that we're doing, we want to be 100% accurate. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so, you know, the, the research that goes into, you know, some of these fish, you know, I give the example of the, the H.W. Ross fish, the first video that we put out on the podcast. Ken's been researching that for 40 years. Um, and right before we recorded that, he found a key part to that story. Uh, but I, I know for a fact that Ken put in at least 50 hours of research putting that outline together. Um, and so that's why it takes us so long Mm -hmm. to to put something out you know um and why we do need a a guy to run the tech side of it so he and i can do do that research so we don't right. have to mess with you know all that other crap yeah we no longer have time to fish rich that's the sad part yeah. <laughs> yeah. i do this because uh like well for one my lakes are frozen for five plus months a year so that that uh right and then uh do in the evenings when it's after fishing hours anyways there you yep. go well and then you live in minnesota and it doesn't get dark up there until 10 o'clock at night right well this time of year it does but in the summer no yeah so yeah. in the summer i could be out fishing on wednesday nights but i do you know i don't start till 8 8 30 so <clears throat> yeah Ooh, very cool yeah, yeah I watched so, some yeah. of your evening tournaments, some of your short derbies. I, I watched some of that, some of that coverage. It's always you've fun. seen some of the, the Tuesday nighters by Sobe and things like that. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. I really enjoy that. I, I get yeah. a kick out of that stuff. And uh, 
and I, I've learned a lot by watching your show, by watching other shows. And, and, and as I was telling you before we jumped on tonight, one of the reasons that Terry and I decided we wanted to do this, I think we both wanted to create some, some good bass-related content, but we didn't want to compete with our friends, and, and we didn't want to compete with the pros, so that kind of leaves out uh, a lot of talk formats, a lot of uh, interview formats, and, and pretty much all the how-to formats. So we had to carve out a niche, and, and I'm excited about, about what we do with, with regard to big bass. No, absolutely. And I think you, you so far, I don't know, what, 10, 15 episodes in or whatever it is, you guys are killing it. Like, I think. Oh, 20. We're, we're okay. 20. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Yeah. I, was, I was spitballing it. I knew it was something like that. Um, <laughs> yeah, like, I don't do research before my shows, as you may not have <laughs> realized. <laughs> uh, I do not have a long uh, script here, notepad. Um, so, yeah. But I, I think you guys have done absolutely what you set out to do. You have original content that's not being told in anywhere, you know, any any form that's even close to that. You've got to, you know, it's it's done well. It's well produced. You guys know your stuff. You tell great stories. The quality's good, so it's easy to listen to. Um, so your guys are off to a great start. Well, thanks. Even if Ken a, talks, even if Ken talks too much, yeah. And that's, Ken that's, talks all the time. That's a point of contention, Rich. And I think that I think that you know, if your audience jumps in here. I think everybody's going to agree with me that Terry talks too much. Even the episode he missed that I did by myself with Bill Dance, Shaw Griggs, B. Skeet Reese, and Jeff Gustafson, I thought Terry was butting in too much on that episode. Well, I may be biased. The good thing about YouTube Live is they allow you to do live polls, so I'm just going to put one up while you chat. So, <laughs> come on, folks. Come on, folks. <laughs> oh, Ken always wins. I appreciate Darius's comment that you popped up there, Rich, that we have a great show. Thank you very much, Darius. You know, we look at all the comments. We we appreciate the feedback. We like the criticism. You know, if somebody comes at us and has an idea for how we can make it better, I assure you we take that to heart. Yep, we have thick skin. Thick Except skin when Terry sure. calls me names. That's that's that makes me <laughs> cry. I will I will shed a tear. Uh, yep. Oh man. All right. You'll soon find out the answer to your every desire, Ken, oh, as uh, yes. the live results come up here. Remember, Batiste talks too much. That's all you have to say. <laughs> Rob <laughs> Reiner with hair. Oh, man. <laughs> Michael, hey, I had I, not seen that resemblance do, before. Do I, I have that physique? Right. I mean, holy crap. <laughs> you know, there are some heads that are perfect, like like this one. And others that are, are covered with hair. So, you know, you got that. <laughs> uh, oh, yeah. Oh, man. Thank you, Ken. Yeah, we appreciate that, Mr. Knudsen. Uh, yeah, we've we've been really privileged because um, uh, we've, cool. we've been able to be the guests on, on Hellabass and the guests on other shows, too. And, and that kind of support means a lot. We see a spike in our, our subscribers rich and, and we know it's gonna it's gonna we'll get another boost from being able to join you on this show that helps a great deal definitely uh, was it the brown bait company that young man is is very impressive um i know he's been watching us since the beginning and we appreciate the support and comment you know and, and i think yeah. he's making some some big custom baits and and you know yep. we need, we're going to be doing some shows on on that style of stuff so terry maybe we need to have uh that young man on 
Sure. Yeah. I mean, we're going to do some stuff. So I, you know, probably a lot of you people watching tonight know that I grew up during that whole, the beginning of the big bait craze in the mid eighties. Um, I was down there when Alan Cole was carving crap and, and John Silks was making the Z plug. He's, he still is, uh, you know, Mike Shaw, you know, and uh, yeah, well, there's an AC plug right there. Um, no, Terry, it's not an ac plug it's, it's it's an ac plug signed by alan cole <laughs> rich he gets he gets this stuff wrong oh, he misses the important God, details Jesus. have you signed ever signed by it? alan cole those things that thing's never seen the water okay of course not <laughs> what are you what anyway. are you drunk <laughs> not yet <laughs> And I ran out of freaking scotch, damn it. I thought I had another bottle. Uh, anyway. I'm not planning uh, to take a bathroom break on the show tonight, Rich, but I may have to go get, get a bottle of bourbon for the show. There you go. You know, yeah. I, I don't have any uh, I don't have an AC call, but I do have a WEC crankbait signed by Kevin Short, which is kind of cool. That is cool. Oh, so I got one uh, like that, but it's signed uh, by Kevin Short, which is not I Ed wonder... Chambers, but... I wonder where Batiste got that. I stole it from Ken Duke's stash. <laughs> I have a. I and have, we're a thousand I, miles away from each other, so we're we're still too close. <laughs> uh, Rich, I don't have it signed by Kevin Short, who is a major proponent uh, of the Ed Chambers baits uh, and one of the best utilizers of those baits. Kevin won quite a bit of money on those things, but I did know Ed, and mm -hmm. uh, one of the last times I got to see him was in. 2015 and i stopped by his house and uh toured the little workshops he had behind his house there and and he gave me a, a big box of, of crankbaits and even some top well, waters what mm. happened is is that ed weighed ken when he first walked in the door and then he <laughs> weighed him as he was leaving the door and then you know found out that he had like four yes. gained four pounds and then charged him by the pound as he left. That's a lot of balsa. Four pounds. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot of balsa. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Since none of those baits probably weighed more than three eighths of an ounce, it's a lot of balsa. Uh, but now he was he was a wonderful man, uh, very generous, very uh, genuine, and and I think um, the greatest had the greatest impact on soft plastic baits of anybody in the history of soft plastics. Well, now you know, Frank. Yep. Frank. Come Frank, on, I'm sorry, come on. man. Join in on we're, the fun, Frank. <laughs> Frank is from Canada, so news travels slow, hey. you know, as you get up there. So it's got to well, break yeah, through the, all the ice. Frank, don't forget to vote. Terry Batiste, he talks too much. Don't forget. <laughs> it's, it uh, feels like Ken's uh, uh, lobbying is working so far. Yeah. I, and you I know, Rich, a... the sad truth is not the lobbying, it's just the obvious factuality of what mm -hmm. I'm saying here. Yep. Yep. So, anyway, back to. Uh, Thank you, David. Appreciate Back it. Back to, to, to Big Baits. You know, we're uh -huh. going to have people on that were there at the beginning of that Big Baits craze, uh, you know, and interviewing them, possibly Mickey Ellis, possibly my best friend, Scott Whitmer, who, is, who makes the triple trout. Um, you want to get Jerry Rago on. Rago. So Rago's wait, a good friend of mine. Were there people were throwing Big Baits before, like Oliver and Ben and those guys? <laughs> It started, yeah. Well, you know when it started. It started in 80, 85, 86. and uh, 
it's actually a pretty cool story about how the whole thing started. It on the soft bait side, it started with guys specifically targeting the big fish at Castaic and Casitas. Mm -hmm. uh, but the wood bait thing uh, really started when the striper guys started catching incidental bass fishing. Oh, Ken's gonna, yeah, he, he's gonna pull off a freaking pikey minnow or something like that and no, say that's no, when it I'm started. No, I'm not gonna get a pikey minnow. Uh... <laughs> Um, you you mentioned something about soft because I don't disagree with you about the hard bait stuff. I don't I don't disagree. There were some big hard baits back in the day. I mean, here was this is the Creek Chub Pikey Minnow, and I think this thing is only about four and a half inches long. Not but a big it's bait. a pretty good sized bait uh, by today's standards. And this was Creek Chub's biggest seller back in the twenties and thirties. This was a, a monster for them. What I was going to say, where I was going to take exception to you, Terry, and you're going to back up and agree with me here. Is that the big soft plastic stuff started? That's here. a worm. It's a worm. Oh, you're talking about soft plastic swim baits. Correct. Okay. Well, yeah. you just said soft plastics. Well, okay. This, I, okay. I then and the DeLong I will apologize. Stuff, and the DeLong okay, stuff. Yeah. Oh yeah. If you're talking just plain old plastics, it started you know back in the in the late '60s, early '70s with all that crap. You know, people yeah. were essentially taking retreads from tires and using them for 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 baits. Um, but the, the plastic swim bait thing started with the Worm King dinosaur. And that was a 12 inch, uh, swim bait made for the ocean. We were catching calico bass on them, yellowtail, barracuda, that type of stuff. And I vividly remember it, a guy named, I used to work in a tackle store. Uh, and you'd, you'd go to Casitas on a Thursday, the day that they would plant the trout and the, the stock truck would back down on the ramp and all of a sudden now mind you you could see 35 feet deep in casitas you could read beer cans on the bottom in 35 feet at that lake that's how clear it was and the stocking truck would back down on the ramp it would drop the chute and you'd see these dark images start to float towards the surface they'd release the water from the truck and you've got all these days you know trout that are drugged up from the you know uh the, the transfer and they hit the water and it was like a yellowtail boil, you know, just 10 pounders, eight pounders, 15 pounders going nuts. And, and Tom, my buddy, Tom was there for that day for that. And he comes back to the shop at about, I don't know, three o'clock in the afternoon, just pissed off. Doesn't say a word coming in, Tom, what's going on? He goes over, we had beer, but not beer cans, excuse me. We had like big bean cans that we had plastics in. I mean, old school tackle store. And uh, so we had the, the big worm kings in, in, in cans, and we had the lead heads in cans. He picks up four or five worm king dinosaurs, you know, they're that big, and three three or four half-ounce heads to go with them with a, shit, it was like a 12-aught uh, Siwash jig hook on it. And uh, he says, I'm tired of looking, watching this shit. I'm going to make him eat this thing. He went back up to Casitas, and at 10 o'clock in the morning the next morning, he pulls up to the front of the store and brings in a 10 pound bass. That's the first fish that was in about 1985. That was the first fish that I ever know that was caught on a, a soft plastic swim bait. That was a, that I would consider a swim bait. But like you, like that was off limits, right? Like people couldn't fish. Oh, you could they, fish in the Marina. No, when they were, were, when they were actively releasing the trout though. Oh yeah, absolutely. Oh wow. Yeah, Probably absolutely. 
Now, sometimes but, they probably stocked the trout on days when that particular lake was closed, but... Sure. Well, no, Casitas was open seven days a week. Okay. Castaic, it was only the San Diego lakes that were open anywhere from three to four days a week. They always, you know, that, so that was San Diego City Lakes that had that schedule. And it was because they didn't have enough people to run the boat launch and the uh -huh. boat rentals and, and all that stuff. And so they would, you know, do a round robin, you know, through, you know, maybe two or three lakes uh, on the days that they were open. But the lakes, other than that, they're open 365. In fact, I fished Casitas many times on Thanksgiving Day and Christmas Day. So, like, uh, you could literally be down there in the rental boat. Was that a public lake or is that a rental boat lake? Like Casitas? Yeah. Uh, so, Casitas, they had, I would say, probably 50 or 60 rental boats, which consisted of 14 foot aluminum V bottom, like a, we, they were Gregor out there, Falco, mm -hmm. um, but like a, maybe a Lund or a Starcraft, just a skiff, right? With a six horse motor on it. Um, but you could launch your bass boat on it too. Okay. So you could literally be out in your boat when the truck parked down with a big. Hell, you could be standing on the, and like standing. Trying to... Yeah. But the thing is, is that, you know, those fish were so keyed in on the trout that you wouldn't get bit on anything else. And that's what pissed Tom off so bad that day is he was throwing everything in his box at him and they wouldn't eat anything but those trout. So, you know, a lot of guys didn't have the hyper realistic trout that you have now, right? I mean, we were trying. To... Well, they did have hyper realistic trout. They were called trout. Well, no, and but... a, a lot of, <laughs> a lot of guys, a lot of guys. But they were they not legal. Do, they were not. Yeah. So it's illegal to fish trout, uh, you know, down there. Yeah. So you got a punker there. That's cool. Um, I mean, like, I just got to imagine if they were going that crazy, if you could have just kept one of those moving through there fast enough that, like, you could get one to, like... Yeah, we had nothing. We had know. nothing like that. You know, yeah. all we had was maybe a Rapala, but those were, like, the Magnum saltwater Rapalas that sank right. like a rock. Um, but, yeah, no, they wouldn't eat it. You know, it was, uh, it was crazy because they weren't that realistic and vitamin T, Little Rich. <laughs> and... Uh, uh, folks, vitamin T is trout, rainbow trout. Yeah, uh, that's why the fish got so big out there. <laughs> yeah, that's the slang for that. Yep, yep. But, um, yeah, we used to call them candy bars. But, yeah, you could throw anything in the book at them, and, and they just wouldn't eat it. So a lot of guys, you know, starting in the set, early 70s, they were actually using live trout as bait. Uh, a lot of those big fish that you see caught were caught on live trout, unfortunately. You know, every every fish down there until the swim bait took off, uh, every big fish down there was, you know, scrutinized big time. Mm -hmm. I mean, I know of tons of fifteen plus pounders that were caught on live trout. Yeah, there was you guys. Uh, what's uh, the gentleman you just had on? Jim Brown. Jim Brown. Jim Brown. Yeah. The, you guys kind of got into that the first time you had him on, talking about uh, all the people that were the trout chuckers. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And Jim was the manager of the San Diego City Lakes for many years, uh, beginning in the 1970s and right into the uh, the early 2000s. And he's still involved with that operation on a on a strictly volunteer basis. Now that he's 76 years old and in retirement, uh, he's yep. a wealth of knowledge. He's he's witnessed more giant bass catches than anybody except his buddy, a guy named Larry Botroff, who was the biologist out at those lakes during those the heyday years and it's interesting you know those guys careers the early 70s through the mid 2000s 
they exactly line up with what I would call the big bass explosion sure. uh, in California. It didn't exist before them, really, and it hasn't existed since them in nearly as significant a way. No, no. Yeah, it was it was it was amazing. Um, it it kind of killed me because in '86 I went to college, um, and I quit fishing, and that's when it really went nuts. That was when the swim bait thing started. Uh, I mean, and now you've got guys. I mean, they're legitimately catching you know teener fish on these swim baits. You know, Castake, Ken Huddleston, and uh, and Chomp started Castake Lure Company, and uh, I, I, they just flat, it was, it was like fishing, fishing in a barrel. You know, these fish had never seen anything like it. Uh, and they ate the hell out of it. And there was no reason to fish live trout anymore. That's what the big bait scene did out there. Yeah. And that's like, that would have been what, like, would you say the the nineties late night, late nineties? Well, yeah, I would probably say that it really took off in the late, uh, mid, mid to mid nineties, I would say. Yeah. Uh, but you had a group of guys. It was a small group of guys that were fishing them from the mid eighties through the, the mid nineties that even though they were talking about it, it was kind of the same effect that it had out here. You know, you had, uh, Matt Peters come out here for, you know, a number of years doing the Southern trout eaters thing. Mm-hmm. And, and he's whacking, you know, eight to 10 pound fish out here and nobody will do it because they think it's just too big a bait. Well, that happened in the early days out in California. Um, and finally by the, the, the mid nineties, everybody realized that, Hey, if you, we want to catch a, a fish that's over 10, we've got to throw the, the big bait. And then it took the NorCal guys even a little bit longer to figure it out. Uh, I would say that was the late nineties when they finally, you know, uh, addressed the, the, the fact that these big, big fish are eating these, you know, big plugs and big, big sassy shad lures essentially. Yeah. I mean, so, cause that was like me, <clears throat> like basically approaching middle school being completely into bass fishing. Mm-hmm. Most of my information comes from either TNN or reading Bassmaster magazine at the time. But, like, you start to see these fish show up on bass covers. You're reading about them in the Bassmaster magazine. Like, and as a person, a kid from Minnesota at that time, right, like, that was just, like, crazy. Like, you would never think about throwing a bait like that in Minnesota. Now, we do. Not, maybe not quite to that extent, but we definitely do throw big baits. And, I like, I remember reading this book back yep. then. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, and I just, like. It's a great book. Just, yeah. I don't know. Fascinating read if nobody's ever read this. I mean, I mean. Some of this, I don't know, like you guys have probably done a lot of research since this came out. <clears throat> Does it, I haven't, I haven't read it since when I first got it, but like, how do you guys feel like Sow Belly holds up over time? That's actually a really good account of what happened down there. So I think Sow Belly is a snapshot and, sure. and like any other snapshot, it captures that moment. Uh, it doesn't go into uh, all of the history of giant bass but it really captures the, the zeitgeist of, of the 90s and 2000s, I think, really well. I mean, Monty Burke is a, a super talented journalist, longtime writer for Forbes. He's very passionate about fishing. He has another book out more recently, mm-hmm. and I'm embarrassed to say I forgot what the title is, but I think it's about tarpon. 
food one. And uh, I'm sure it's very good. I bought it, but I haven't read it yet. <laughs> uh, but yeah, he. And what I think Monty captures better than anything in that book is is what an obsession. Yeah. The record chase was for so many of those people, and uh, and I think that sometimes we forget about what a small group that really was, what a microcosm of the bass world that was, but maybe it was the most interesting part of the bass world for uh, 15 years or so. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, it really captured what the hell, because Monty traveled. So the, the guy's name that, that got Rago and Long and Kruppi and all those guys together, and they actually formed this team, the... B-S-Y-O-B, or it stands for bitch slap in your own backyard. And what they essentially did is uh, they would go to other states with Monty Birch in trailing, following them. Monty Burke. Excuse me, Monty Burke. Um, and, uh, and they would go and catch a 10-pounder in Utah. They would go catch a 10-pounder in Oregon. They'd go catch a 10-pounder in Arizona. Uh, and it was all about, you know, the big bait thing. And, uh, yeah, it was, it was pretty crazy. I actually went fishing with, uh, with, uh, Greg. So I've known Greg since I was probably 10 years old. We actually took fly time together at the Long Beach casting club, uh, at the same time. That's where we met. And so we've known each other. He actually moved to Japan, opened a tackle shop in Japan and Nagoya and, uh, became, relatively famous over there because he was the guy that brought big swim baits to Japan. Um, I was actually selling plastics to him. My buddy, Scott Whitmer, uh, was selling the triple trout. In fact, the triple trout was initially sold in Japan three or four years before any of them ever gotten to be sold in the States. Wow. Uh, same with the Nazuma rat. That's why it's called the Nazuma rat because it was marketed in Japan. And uh, anyway, but uh, yeah, I fished with them on a lake called Pineview in, in Utah one January day. I had to take my snowblower so we could get the, uh, I was living in Idaho at the time and it was about 150 miles south. And I took my snowblower with me and we had to use a snowblower to clear the ramp off so we could launch Jerry's boat. And we were looking for uh, a, a trophy tiger muskie. Huh. And we were trolling in 35 to 45 foot of water with Rago's original generic trout, which was a 16 inch heart, you know, big bait. And uh, we had one up to the boat that was probably 52 inches. Um, and then from there, they went to Flaming Gorge and they caught a couple of 40 pound lake trout. Uh, they got a 10 pound uh, bass at a quail lake in southern Utah. Um, it was a pretty epic trip for them. But it was all about you know catching big fish. Yeah, nice. <clears throat> I gotta interject here. We had a pre pregame donation from TKL Fish on. I want to make sure I thank him for that and uh, appreciate the support for the channel TKL. And hope you're enjoying the show and your goodies from Omnia. So thank you. <laughs> cool. Yeah, but, I'm sorry I jumped in to to mention it's Monty Burke because there is a. Another outdoor writer from, I think, Missouri named Monty Bur Birch, and I didn't want to. Yeah, I, and I got the two screwed up in my head. <laughs> it's, it's, yeah, the name. You can are, correct are me. Way too similar. Way too similar. <laughs> exactly. But exactly. 
Yeah, to so, be part of that, to be to be in, immersed in that uh, California big bait record bass chase, that's pretty special. And uh, Terry's got that, and I envy a lot about that. But I will say this, since we're talking about that California record chase era, I've, I've visited California a number of times and got to meet a lot of those guys, and I have never seen such a toxic fishing community as the guys who chase the giant bass. They, if, if you catch a giant bass, you're a lying, dirty scumbag who's fishing with trout, and you should be hung up from a tall tree. And That's some of it's attitude. true. <laughs> yeah. Well, well yeah, there's that. There's yeah, that, most, Rich. Most but... of it's true. The only guy that I know that was down there that actually tried to bring everybody together and, you know, have good knowledge transfer and stuff like that was a guy named Rob Baloney. Um who had used to have calfishing.com. And mm -hmm. this is where Jeremy Pratt, you know, learned a lot of what he does. And you probably you probably know Pratt, right? I've not met him personally, but I know who he is. Yeah. Yeah. So Jeremy, kid from North Carolina, I think he was like 12 or 13 when he started going on cal calfishing.com. And uh here's this kid, you know, holding up these eight, nine, ten pounders from North Carolina. He's the only guy in the South doing it back in the early 2000s. And, uh, but anyway, it, it, you know, Rob didn't put up with any crap. Uh, if you were going to be toxic on his website and in his forums, he'd ban you. He did it right. And, uh, and then he just, he ended up changing jobs and getting, hmm. moving out of California and it kind of fizzled. But yeah, Rob was a good guy. And pretty much everybody that went to his site was pretty damn good. Thanks, but Bob. yeah. Sorry, I was just saying thanks, Bob. Oh, hey, Bob, cool. <laughs> uh, uh, thank you, Bob. Bob. Hello, bass is better than okay. Come on now, yeah, <laughs> Bob. We appreciate you. Bob, Bob is always kind enough to comment after a lot of the episodes, and we, we really do appreciate the feedback. That's a, a big deal to us, yep, absolutely. And we need to dive into the big bait thing, we haven't done it yet, and there are just a ton of guests we want to get on. Rich, I noticed yeah. that, uh one of your viewers asked if we would be trying to get Mike Gilbert. I know Mike only a little bit. I'm a big fan uh, of his baits and the working class zero products he makes. Mm -hmm. So I will, I do plan to reach out to Mike at some point and see if he'll come on the show with us. He does some really, really cool stuff kind of just on the philosophy and of, of big bait fishing that I think nobody else is really touching mm -hmm. on. So uh, if you haven't had Mike Gilbert on Hellabass, I think he'd be a great, a great one for you. Yeah. That'd be cool. So speaking of like ideas, like how long is your idea list for shows right now? Like, I feel like you've got like a Google doc or a spreadsheet with like how many, how, how many ideas do you got? Uh, that's don't ask that question, Rich. I'll tell you what, even before Terry got involved, I had a spreadsheet and, and it was, it was, a what was it? Terry, maybe. 300 and some ideas at that point and then you added a bunch yeah so <laughs> it's uh well i started going down ken's list i thought he sends me a, a spreadsheet i'm thinking oh, he's gonna have maybe 50 ideas on here i'll probably be able to add 50 to it and i looked at it and it was like 280 hmm. freaking lines of, of titles for shows like holy crap yeah he's he's serious about this and each one of and, and and each one of these is a serious subject. Wow! And then I add, like you said, I added a bunch. I didn't add nowhere near two hundred, uh, but yeah, it was. Uh, we have a lot. 
And, and well, every time we do a show like this, it registers something new in one of our heads or both of our heads. Like, holy crap, there's another rabbit hole we can jump down. So that's cool. The one thing we don't have a shortage of, Rich, is ideas for the show. We will, we will be dead and gone before we run out of ideas for this show. And, um, and, and, and Terry's absolutely right. This is an inspiration for more. Just glancing through the comments on, on your YouTube feed is, is really interesting to me because, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, a lot of these are great ideas. And, and the funny thing is 99.9% .9 of them, when people say, hey, have you ever thought about having this guy on? Yeah, we thought of that. He's on our list. We will get to him, we promise. <laughs> Or, or we've had an outpouring of people from Indiana and, and Illinois asking us, because both of those states, I guess, have uh, questionable records. I think uh, Ohio and Illinois, there's some Indiana. Uh, maybe it's not Indiana. Places. Yeah, it's not Indiana. Uh, and Rich, you may know this guy. Um, the woman who caught the Indiana state record, uh, her name is um, Jennifer Schultz. And her son is Jesse Schultz, who works for Major League Fishing. Uh -huh. He does a lot of their web and digital stuff. And, and she caught this Indiana state record uh, on a topwater bait. I want to say like a pop R in uh, May of 1991, the fish weighed 1412. How about that? It's a good one. Totally legit. Obviously a long time before Jesse was born, but, sure. uh, but yeah, we, we want to have Jennifer Schultz on our show one day too. Speaking of which, that fish, I was just talking to Danny Blanford about two hours ago. He is good friends with her, and that fish was skin mounted. And ah. he said, he said. Now you said, want to get DNA samples to see if it's a Florida bass. You're damn right. <laughs> and he said that he will do what he can to get a DNA sample for us, and we'll ship it to Steve Barden uh, and, and see what Steve can pull out of it. Yeah, Rich, that's actually been one of the, the most, <laughs> the coolest, most fun things about this is Terry and I know a lot of people in the industry. And, and some of them are just as diseased about the sport as we are. Right. And, and we have had some of our, our scientist buddies say, hey, if you can get a, if you can get a, a scale sample from, from the Massachusetts bass from 1975, we'll do a DNA test on it and let you know if it's, it's got any Florida genetics. I'm thinking, man, this is, we're, we're going to, we're hoping we'll kind of make some history or at least illuminate some history on the sport. And that's, that's going to be a lot of fun. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, how could something controversial come out of Illinois? Like that just seems so, I mean, everything's on the up and up in Illinois and Chicago. Like, I mean, <laughs> oh, that's right. there's, no, there's no political shadiness. Everything is, everything is yeah, cool. Exactly. Um, <laughs> You know, but that's that, that kind of goes back to what I was mentioning earlier, you know, in that California record chase and how toxic that that whole community and environment was. I, I wrote one time and I believe to this day that the quickest way to be called a liar is to catch a is to catch a bigger bass than your buddy. <laughs> yep. Yeah. And and what a shame that is, you know. Yeah. And I think what that's the shame. one thing that Sal Belly did right is captured the obsession um, and I think exactly. some of the things, some of the characters later on, you found out things down the road, <laughs> how deep that obsession went. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
yeah, we can think of one big one right off the top of all of our heads right now. <laughs> well, and and somebody in the in the YouTube uh, uh, chats mentioned uh, well mentioned Mike Long, mm-hmm. and 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 I I worked with Mike Long, and I did a number of stories with Mike Long before the SD fish thing exploded a few years ago, and we would love to have Mike come on our show and 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 talk about his side of it and explain what his thinking was. Um, I, you know, but I, 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 I am still in touch with Mike long. I always enjoyed working with Mike. I don't know the extent of, I mean, I've certainly read all the SD fish stuff and all that. And, uh, we'd really like to take a, a deeper dive into that whole situation and, and get the other side of that story. And we hope to. Yeah. I, so I had a column in Bass West magazine for eight years called the hunt for giant bass and that column was designed for mike long and uh i don't know how many columns i did with him probably 20 and uh i mean i I slept at his house you know i went fishing with him on lake jennings when it was closed um and when that I, i defended him until the end until july of 2019 when i saw that video it's like I feel like an idiot. <laughs> it was, uh, it, it, it sucked, but yeah, we yeah. would love to, we would love to have him on and, and, and hear his side of the story. I still have a, uh, champion XP or not an XP champion Dobbin seven ninety five, Mike long swim bait rod. Hold on <laughs> to it. It might be worth some money someday. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've got some of that kind of stuff too, rich. And another one of your, uh, uh, fans on YouTube asked about a Doug Hannon show. Sure. And, and yeah, we'd love to do a show uh, about Doug. I knew, I knew Doug a little bit, always enjoyed hanging out with Doug. Fascinating guy. One of the yeah. great, one of the great thinkers, uh, of the sport, you know, not a guy with a lot of, a lot of people call him, you know, the, the bass professor and everything, but you know, his undergraduate degree was in philosophy. He was not a biologist. He was just a, mm-hmm. a really passionate angler who, who, uh, was who actually understood right. science. Yeah, he understood the scientific yeah. method. You know, I mean, he he did everything right. You know, and when he spoke, you could pretty much use it as gospel. You know, he was a hell of a guy. Died at, what, 59, right? I mean, he wasn't 60 yeah, he years was, old. He was a young man and uh, very unfortunate. And and I was a, I enjoyed my time. I got to visit and, and hang out with Doug. Uh, and, and somebody had asked me recently about... Uh, the bounties on the world record. And uh, there was an $8 million bounty on the world record largemouth bass for a while in the early 2000s from an organization called the Big Bass Record Club. Mm-hmm. And it was run out of Tampa. I live in Orlando, not far away, but I was I was living in Georgia at the time. But anyway, I was on the, the board of governors of that organization along with Doug and, a, and, a, and some other folks. And that was an interesting time and, and an interesting idea on how to help drive the chase for the world record so what was hannon's idea i mean what did he think of this uh big bass record club well he was he was kind of the front man for it i would say he was the face of it whenever they Mm -hmm. would do any marketing or advertising to try to get members uh doug's face was always right there because that's how they funded the insurance policy that was going to pay this thing off and they had insurance through the you know the very famous insurance broker in in the uk lloyd's of london and uh doug was heavily involved with a a car dealer from tampa a guy named mickey owens who was also uh, a bass nut and uh 
they were the ones who really came up with the concept and they were interested in working with people in the media and people who also shared their passion for big fish and the history of it all and that's how they they got in touch with me so it, like i said it was a cool time and i remember meeting those guys for breakfasts or dinners at events and stuff and and just sort of brainstorming about how we were going to drive it and what content we were going to build around it but unfortunately they could not generate enough memberships to keep it going i, I forget what a membership costs like 18 or 20 bucks and, and but you couldn't win the bounty unless you were a member and caught the fish so that was what was driving it and they were also had awards for people who caught state records and things like that because they realized that a guy in you know new hampshire is not going to join uh on a chance to win a world to catch a world record there so they had to diversify and, and spread it out geographically but it was a cool a cool organization on some level i wish there was still something like that out there because i think the chase for the record has slowed if not to an absolute halt, at least to a crawl. And I think something like that might jumpstart it. I think it would. Yeah, I, I don't, I, I'm, I'm with you, Ken. I, I think the, uh, the excitement of trying to catch the world record has uh, gone. It's, it's gone. Even... And, and it's, it's uh, you know, we've, we've seen very few fish over in that, in that, 18, 19 pound class coming out of California in the last 15 years. And, and that's hurt it a lot. The, the world record or a share of the world record going to Japan, that hurt it a lot. Uh, but let, let's ask the question that I think everybody's asking right now, Rich. Who is winning in the battle between me and Terry for talking too much? It, uh, interestingly enough, since you stopped lobbying, uh, it, the, the poll has swayed back the other way. Uh, <laughs> currently, See, oh, it's currently 28% say Ken, 22% Terry, and then 50% are Minnesota Nice being Switzerland saying it's they're equal. They both talk over the guest. <laughs> they both talk over the guest. <laughs> Ouch. Ouch. Well, I guess if we can't handle the truth of Hellabass, we, we don't deserve to be here. So I, I, will, I will accept the verdict of the people. It's with 58 votes. I mean, there's still, a, I mean, a hundred, half the audience has not uh, voted yet. So that's a lot of votes though. That's a lot of votes. I'm going to hang in there to the end and keep <laughs> lobbying. So I guess with the, with the show title, and we're kind of talking about this, where do you guys feel? Cause you guys have obviously studied this more and spent more research doing different topics for your, uh, your show, I guess kind of a two part question. First, where do you think like the top three most, probable places that the world record could come from and then i guess follow up do you think it's actually going to happen but before we say whether you think it's going to happen or not, what do you think the best chances are terry you want to go first yeah. you want me to go first <laughs> you can go first i'm going to pick three fairly obvious places i'm going to leave one off that might piss a lot of people off i'm going to say in, in no particular order california florida and japan and I think California still has a shot because I think there are still some places where people are stocking trout. And as long as you're stocking rainbow trout, you've got a fighting chance. If you have the genetics, you have the trout, and you have the time, I think California can still produce a record. I did a story for a magazine a few years ago uh, about chasing the biggest bass in California. And I talked to a few um, uh, Cal 
what is it, California Department of Fish and Game uh, biologists who were in charge of, of bass programs and so forth. And every last one of them told me that he does not think there is a world record bass swimming in California right now. And that surprised me. It surprised me that they, they believe that, and it surprised me that they would say it publicly to somebody in the media. Mm-hmm. Because, hey, a, a world record bass in California, you know, that's good publicity, that's good marketing. But they also know there's not one. Um, I think Florida obviously has the genetics. Uh, what Florida tends to lack is the time. You know, because it's warm here all the time, uh, these fish don't live as long as they might in some of the two-story fisheries in California or other places. So that's a challenge. But there have been legit 20-pound fish caught in Florida in the past, and Terry and I both believe there was a legit 23-pounder caught in 1884. So I think it, ha- I think it could happen here, um, probably on a, an extremely remote or private lake in Florida somewhere. Uh, and, and my third pick was Japan. Um, Lake Biwa or Ikihara or one of those places that has already produced fish over 18 and 19 pounds. And of course, Biwa produced the current and I think most legitimate world record uh, in 2009. So I think those places can do it. I don't think Texas can do it. Uh, Texas has been talking a big game for 30 years now, and they have not gotten one ounce closer to their own state record, much less a world record. Let's face it, folks, Sherlunker is mostly a marketing ploy and uh, only secondarily a, a uh, biology play, although it has gotten better in recent years and they are using the eggs and so forth and putting them in, in the various reservoirs where they're trying to grow it. But Texas has a lot of the same problems that Georgia, that Florida has with regard to weather. And, and there are not a lot of trout waters in Texas, not a lot of vitamin T swimming around in Texas to help those fish get over the hump uh, from say 18 and change into the 20s. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna say California, Florida, Japan. All right, um, and I'm gonna agree with Ken 66% of the time. Uh, and, and I, if it wasn't for talking to, to Barden recently, I would not have, uh, I would have only had two, and that would have been Japan and California. I think that the biologists that Ken talked to uh, in California were posing as uh, proponents of bass. Uh, There is no such thing anymore in California of a biologist in California that is a proponent of bass. The only one that ever existed was Larry Botroff and Orville Ball. What about Mike Limbeck? Well, okay, you're talking the San Diego City Lakes, guys, and I will definitely agree with that. Um, but anybody else, I mean, so we had we had two biologists in all of California. That's a state that's, what, 600 miles, 800 miles tall? And we had two of them. And one of them was full-time in San Diego, and the other guy got to roam the other, you know, 700 miles. They didn't care about warm water fisheries at all. All they cared about was stocked trout because they sold a thing called a trout stamp, and that's where they get all their money. Um, and you know, so my opinion is is that the world record possibly could still come out of one of the small San Diego lakes, 
most notably Dixon or Poway. Uh, and then if you're going to get a outside of San Diego, uh, at this time, Castaic's dead. Casitas is technically dead, but with the rains that they're getting this year, something may happen in three or four years. Uh, but now you're talking about lakes in Northern California that have produced, you know, fish up to 19, up to and over 19 pounds that nobody is talking about now. These were lakes like Spring Lake, you know, that supposedly Duclose got his 24 out of. Uh, you know, there's been reports of other 20 pound fish come out of there, not including Leah Trues. Yeah, um, most of them are, are are beyond shady. Whatever is darker than shady. Exactly. Uh, you know, you've got Los Banos. Uh, you, you, there's a ton of, of lakes up there that can produce it. And and even Don Pedro being one of those. Um, New Maloney's. I mean, there's some there's some lakes up there that that still stock the right size trout that will will and or can and will produce a big fish. I guarantee it. The next, my next one would be Lake Biwa and Lake Ikihara in Japan. 100% in agreement with Ken on that. I mean, Ikihara, nobody heard about it. I actually broke that that story in uh, in Fisherman. I heard about that fish the day after it was caught. My buddy, well, my the Greg Vela, the guy that, that is in Japan, actually uh, sent me the pictures of those of that fish literally hours after it was caught and then i pitched it to in fisherman and got it in the next issue that was coming out that was three or four years before uh Carita broke the record at biwa and and actually the waters from ikihara feed biwa from the way i understand it um and and they have trout they have a native trout in that lake and plus they have the ayu and both of those are soft raid fish that are easy prey for a big bass. So my last, which, you know, a month ago, I would not have chosen Texas, but I feel after talking to Barden and looking at the lake, uh, that OH Ivy is the only lake in Texas that I feel could possibly produce a world record fish. And the reason for that is that lake has a lot of water that is over a hundred foot deep. And this is the difference between this lake and nearly every other lake in the entire state. The heat density of that lake, because all those lakes are shallow, those fish can't get away from the, the hot water. As soon as they get down into that 12 foot of water, they hit the thermocline and below the thermocline, it's, it's dead. But you get a lake that's got 120, 140, or 150 feet of water in it, they can go down to the 30 foot where the water temperature is still in the upper 60s and get away from that, which as you know, Ken has learned by talking to Steve, fish only have a certain amount of heartbeats. And when fish are forced to live in water that's 80 degrees or above, they're, they're cold-blooded animals. So they have to, their heart beats with the, the temperature. The higher the water temperature, the faster their heart beats. And that's why those fish grow so big in California. That's why they grow so big at the base of Mount Fuji. <clears throat> and it, at Ivy, those fish can get down into those depths in summer 
and and not have to worry about running out of heartbeats. So that's that's my opinion. It's worth what you paid for it. <laughs> All right, Rich. What are, what are your three picks, Rich? Yeah, I, I I tend to. I think I would say without. So I, I think I mostly agree. I think especially after listening to that interview with Steve uh, Barton. And I think if people are really interested in what the science it takes to grow, that's a good one to go back and listen to. And hopefully copper in the background because of a thunderstorm is not too distracting. Um, (laughs) But I think California, especially with the rains now, right, you get the new lake effect, which is important. Uh, uh, Understanding there are still places stocking trout, which you don't hear about, right? That's a a recipe for potential. Um, Everybody knows it's not going to be Florida. Ken, come on. Um, <laughs> the, the, the recent interview with Steve also makes me think that, you know, maybe if Texas is actually doing the biology correctly now, maybe it's not a short term, but maybe the long term game, if they keep doing what they're saying and actually working on the genetics, maybe. Or if there's some oil money that just throws a couple million pounds of trout in OHIV, then, you know, or something like that, right? Like if there was some kind of event like that, sure. right? Like, like, well, they already stock trout in ivy, they stock uh, trout in ivy in the winter. Okay. So, so it's that, the same it's the same pattern as California. California they don't stock trout in the summertime because it's too hot. Sure. But they 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 stock them from about November through about April and and there was a guy in Texas who was throwing millions at at this effort. He was doing it in way south Texas. I mean, you could almost make a long cast and hit Mexico. Mm-hmm. Um and he was a doctor or a dentist. He had a ton of money. He had a ranch he called La Perla. And I got to fish out there uh, once for a few days, and and his stated goal was to to raise the world record. He never got close. Too hot, uh, too shallow. Probably all of the above. Yeah, probably all of the above. I mean, <clears throat> certainly he had the money to to buy the genetics. Yeah. Uh, which means to steal my children from the state of Florida. But. Uh, <laughs> but That's the thing that that chaps his ass the most is that. You know, we had to take uh, Florida fish and give them a proper home, you so know, they could so they could spread their fins and grow. <laughs> one day, one day, you you carpet baggers may may raise a world record in California, but it'll be with our fish. <laughs> well, no yeah. one's de- leave it no that. one's disputing that. <laughs> I, I, I leave it at that. The one thing we know about the next world record is it will be my cropter is Floridanus. <sighs> yeah, I rest my. So I think I think Japan, right? That's interesting. Obviously, well, in my opinion, the current world record bass is from Japan. I I, I truly Amen. believe that that like well, yeah. a it was bigger than Hallelujah. It was Technically, right, because of a, a a tiebreaker rule, it's not. It's a tie, but it was bigger by what an ounce or an ounce and a half. Point nine seven ounces. Yeah, and the 0. fact 0. is, I just don't really believe. God rest his soul, George Perry's bass was actually quite that big, so. Amen, brother. Amen. You are singing our song. You are singing our song. We're going to be doing the George Perry story here, probably around the anniversary of his catch. Which which would be like a 37-part miniseries, right? Uh, I'm I'm trying to convince Terry that we need 17 episodes. No, I'm kidding. I think we probably need need four or maybe five episodes on Perry. What is the current world record? If you're talking largemouth bass, the current world record is 22 pounds, 4.97 ounces, by Manabu Kurita from 2009 Lake Biwa in Japan, but it's tied with a uh, 22 pound four ounce fish allegedly caught by George Perry 
uh, on June 2nd, 1932 from Lake, Mont Lake Montgomery in Telfair County, Georgia. It was a Thursday, if you're interested. Um, and of course, the reason, and, and Rich was alluding to it earlier, the reason the 22.4 by Perry is tied with the 22.4.97 by Carita is because of the IGFA rule saying that for any fish, any record fish below 25 pounds, you have to break the record by at least two ounces. So that's it. But, so I, I guess one other place that comes to mind is like South Africa. What are you guys' thoughts on that? Because it seems like there's some freakishly big teener fish coming out of that South Africa area. In, in my opinion, uh, so they had some 18s, fish in the 16 to 18 pound class that came out of there in the late 70s, early 80s time frame. And then we kind of heard nothing about it. And now I've I've seen, you know, bass tournaments down there uh, where it doesn't take hardly anything to, I mean, it's like a two pound average or a three pound average. I have, I don't think it's going to happen. Yeah. I tend to think of, of any record bass chase as a pyramid, you know, for somebody to catch the world record up at the top of the pyramid at, at 20, some 23 pounds, let's say there have to be a lot of fish in that 18 to 20 pound category caught. And then a bunch of fish in that 15 to 18 pound, and then a bunch more, in the 12 to 15 so if you don't have the pyramid working for you i don't think you're going to get there um i'm also and i don't know this but i'm guessing that in south africa where they they have more than their share of challenges perhaps there there may be commercial fishing going on out there and things like that that are really not conducive to producing uh great sport fishing yep I, and that's essentially what happened to cuba um, yeah, the Treasure Cuban, Lake, the... Zaza, Hanabania. Yep. Yeah, Braubick. I mean, thank you. Yeah, yep. Cuba. What about and Cuba? <laughs> and, and of course, not many U.S. citizens have been able to get to Cuba in a long time. And the last groups that have been there have not reported great fishing. The, mm. the biggest fish they've caught have been uh, 9, 10, 11, and they've been emaciated. Yep. Uh, really skinny not healthy looking and that's because they allow netting and and the economy in cuba is not strong and so you've got a lot of people out there fishing commercially and if they catch a a good sized bass that thing is is going to be processed and eaten it's not going to be which all much. record bass should be eaten right amen yes fried <laughs> hush puppies maybe some coleslaw uh sweet tea of course sorry guys it's, it's a totally a southern meal you wouldn't get it <laughs> oh geez yeah so i guess like so italy spain have mediterranean climates like I, I don't you don't hear much about giant bass but they clearly have bass there so i've i've fished okay. italy four or five times um and the biggest fish i've caught out of italy is four pounds and the biggest fish i've seen caught out of italy is five eh, five pounds there is a lake in <clears throat> just north of Rome called Balsena and they get you know 25 pound limits out of there it's a flipper's dream but that's about it now I've I've done a lot of fishing up towards Venice uh Garda Lake uh it, it they're just you know small fish because there's a ton of netting there's a ton of gill nets you're constantly fighting gill nets out there Richard you're 
your fans are pointing out a great thing. You know, the largemouth bass is the most widely distributed fish in the world. Mm -hmm. uh, brown trout is number two and a close number two, but uh, the largemouth bass is just about everywhere. And, and it's impressive how adaptive the fish is. But just because bass are almost everywhere, just because largemouths are almost everywhere, doesn't mean that the Florida subspecies is everywhere. And that's what it takes to get to that, that world caliber uh, size. Yep. Yeah, cool. So I guess we talked a lot about the world record bass. I don't know. I kind of. I don't know if you do, Ken. Do you have any 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 nuggets or any inf like stories about uh, you know Minnesota, Wisconsin, anything like that? You know, I was I was thinking about that because I know that uh, that's where you are, and I I was glancing at some stuff, and I just one of the things that fascinates me when I'm I'm looking at this stuff is the patterns that pop up, and and one of the things I think is very cool about your upper Midwest region is is that these state record fish are almost invariably caught out of very small water bodies um and so if you've got you got a million fans but if you've got fans who are serious about chasing their own state record i mean that's what you got to do you Puddles. might catch a you might catch a ton of, of fish on minnetonka or or Malax or something but if you want a, a state record if you want to challenge that you got to find smaller ponds smaller lakes because that's where the giants come out of um uh, iowa's state record came out of an 82 acre lake uh minnesota's lake was 291 acres that lake, was auburn, lake lake auburn. And, yeah in carver county mark raveling um, and then you got uh, uh san diego is caught off an indian reservation indian scout lake which is very small though i haven't been able to get the exact dimensions and then in wisconsin it was out of lake ripley in jefferson county and, and that's 420 acres so the biggest of the lakes that's produced a state record in that upper Midwest region is 420 acres. So yeah, focus on the smaller stuff. And, and it makes sense because some of those smaller lakes may have actually been stocked with a, a different grade of bass. And, and they're a lot more manageable and they're a lot less there. If they're managed well, they're a lot less likely to have something devastating happen to them. And they're a lot less likely to get, uh, remarkably heavy fishing pressure yeah so that always helps that's um, definitely true from what i've seen um and even just like your chances of catching a six pounder which is a pretty remarkable fish where i live um yep. i wouldn't say it's impossible to catch it because i know lake minnetonka is definitely there have been some legit eight pounders caught out of lake minnetonka in tournaments and obviously it's not what i, I think ours is nine even is that right right yeah oh i mean like not impossible, like to, to make that jump, but like I think it's to your it's, point. Your yeah. odds are much better fishing sub five hundred acre lakes, probably. Yeah, and of course, it, it I think it takes a different mindset too. You know, you have to be like Terry was talking about the big bait guys who would go out there and, and heave a, a ten inch trout imitation all day, and if they didn't get a they didn't get a bite all day, that's okay. They're going to go out the next day and do the same thing because they were committed to it. Not a lot of people have that resolve. I'm not sure I have that resolve. Um, but, but that's that's what it takes, too. You're going to have to be, to catch that outlier, you're going to have to be an outlier of an angler. Or, and this is what most people do to catch a state record, you're going to have to stumble on the fish. Because let's be honest, state records, world records, for the most part, are caught by people who just stumble upon them and get lucky. Yep. Um, I would like to see more records fall to the guys who are out there heaving the big 
the big 10 inch wood plugs because on some level I, I want to say they deserve it they were targeting that fish they had a purpose they have yep. a skill set and they they were serious about it but and they catch way more than their share of the big fish but i think that um i would like to see more of those guys be rewarded so a little rich uh i think it will be possibly most likely it would be caught on an artificial uh the reason that i say that is is that the the cadre of anglers that have grown up through the late 90s the early 2000s uh the big bait chuckers right they they are i mean you look at oliver nye's big bass dreams you know empire mm -hmm. uh you know that's that you have kids that that's all they've ever thrown is a big bait they don't know how to throw a worm you know i mean and that's good for them i mean they're dedicated you know and i think that that we have this group of people in the United States and internationally, that that if they're out there and there's a big fish, a world record possibly, and they make that right cast, like Ken was just saying, they're going to get it. I think it, live bait fishing, uh, other than in maybe Florida, is looked down upon pretty much everywhere. I don't know many people in California anymore that that throw bait. I mean, it used to be in the springtime at Casitas Castaic you would have guys out there throwing crawdads. I mean, that's what easily caught his, you know, 21-pounder on out of Casitas was a crawdad. That's, and that's what Krupe caught most of his fish on. That's exactly. Kadota. Kadota. Um, even guys yeah. like uh, Bobby Sandberg, who might say mm -hmm. they caught him on something else, actually caught him on, on crawdads. Yeah. Uh, I would add this. Fish on a bluegill? Bluegill, Karina yeah. fish was a bluegill, yeah. Right. And, and I agree with Terry that it'll be caught on an artificial probably – but I, I have a different opinion or a different uh, attitude as to why. I think it's because the artificial guys so significantly outnumber the, the bait yeah. guys. Mm -hmm. um, it, it's, it's 99 to 1 or, or, or bigger. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think that the record will be broken faster if everybody was out there throwing live bait. Trout. <laughs> well, if everybody, if you could, and, and Rich, as you know, in most states, it's not legal to catch a game fish with another game fish. And that's right. why trout is prohibited in a lot of these places where, where that would be. And to Terry's point earlier about these people growing up and only fishing big baits, that's exactly the story of a guy like Mike Gilbert, who's got a working class zero and a bunch of fabulous lures. Mike only throws big baits. That's how he learned bass fishing. If, he, if, if you were to put a spinning rod in his hand and a, and a drop shot, I think he would he would rather just go to the bank and go home. <laughs> yeah. uh, he's not going to do that. That's not his idea of what fishing is. Yeah. Um, and, and more power to him. That, that's wonderful. That's very cool. But I think if, especially here in Florida, where, where the golden shiner is uh, king, I think if guys would fish live bait more, we'd see more records broken and, and there's no disgrace in fishing live bait in my opinion so just is cheese live bait or artificial <laughs> <laughs> it's a processed food product <laughs> I, I leave that to the uh to the california big bass expert on the program oh my god yeah it was I, I and so i was literally fishing those lakes when that shit was happening excuse me um you know, you read in the Western Outdoor News every week, you know, a 10-pounder was caught on cheese. It's, 
you know, as a little, you know, kid, you're, you're thinking, oh my gosh, you know, I'm a bass fisherman because I'm fishing for with cheese. It was nuts, you know, but the, the truth is, is that, you know, a trout ate that ball of cheese. And then as you're bringing the trout in, the bass eats the trout and, you know, there's no doubt in my mind that that's what happened on yeah. every one of those, every one of those reports. But you look in the papers, you know, I mean, we were doing that, that show about the the Florida bass experiment I think it was the the one I think it was called the Florida bass experiment second or third podcast that we put out when I'm doing the research for that and I'm looking at the newspaper clippings because every Thursday you had the in the sports section you had the fish report every week there was multiple fish like four or five fish that were eight to eight to 12 pounds that were caught on cheese but maybe yeah. not. I mean, think about the fuzzy dice, right? It <laughs> looks like a cheese cube. Maybe, maybe we're missing out. Maybe. <laughs> yeah, or you know, maybe they they molded the cheese and it looked like a trout or something. I don't know. I mean, <laughs> it's crazy. You know, it's interesting. We talk about the the baits. Um, I think that you know. I also like to think about the technology we deal with now. You know, if we had had forward facing sonar. In the 80s and 90s, I think oh, the world God. record would have been broken multiple times in California. Yeah, I agree with that. I, I think we would. I think we would have had dozens and dozens of fish over 20 pounds caught. Yeah, and that and swim baits, forward-facing sonar and swim baits, in in the in the, in the 70s and early 80s, it would have been lights well, out. Even even with yeah, the Bob Croupies of the world, right when they're stitching live crawdads if they had live scope back then right that would have been game over absolutely yeah. those guys wouldn't to your point rich when croupy or or Kadota or those guys had pulled up on a point to fish a particular rock where they knew some big fish hung out they'd have been able to analyze in seconds that that fish wasn't there at that moment and they would have gone somewhere else until they located more big fish it would have been a, a radically different environment a radically different record chase Yep. And then if and, they did see it, right, then they could literally let that bait oh. or that crawdad sit in front of its face and versus moving it. If that fish was looking at it, they could have left it in there until it just couldn't take it anymore. Yep. A absolutely. And, and yeah, who knows how many times the record might have been broken. And I'm kind of, I don't know, I'm kind of grateful in some way that that we didn't have that at that time. And because I think it makes the, the stories about the chase more interesting. Yeah, you know, Ken Ken said at one point in time here a few months back that he's glad that Weekly Weekly's version of Dottie didn't actually get submitted as a world record because if it was twenty five point one pounds and that was the record now, there would be zero interest in in getting a fish bigger because who the hell's going to get one bigger? Mm -hmm. it, yeah, it, that that fish was huge. Yeah, of course, Terry's mentioning the, the fish known as Dottie, the one that was caught at least three times and weighing in 20-plus pounds uh, by Mike Long, by Jed Dickerson, and finally by Mac Weekly in 2006 when it weighed 25-1. And the only reason that's not the world record is he snagged the fish. And uh, in California, if you snag the fish, it can't be submitted for state record consideration, so thereby it would be DQ'd from uh, IGFA consideration. Yep. And, yeah, that would have been out of reach. Oh, yeah. um, it would have is... let the wind out of everybody's sails. Yeah. There it is. That, that, that's that's Mike Wynn. 
Yeah, that Mike, exactly. Perfect, Rich. That's great. Uh, way to point at the that gill plate mark there. That's it. The guy who's holding the fish is a guy named Mike Wynn. He and his Mac buddies, Weekly. Mac Weekly caught it. That's Mike Wynn holding it. Oh, I thought that was Mac. No, that's that's Mike Wynn. Buddha. Okay. That's his nickname. And uh, Mac Weekly is the one who caught it. And uh, and he and Jed, the, these three guys, Jed Dickerson, Mike Wynn, and Mac Weekly were buddies. They all worked in the casino industry. And um, they, they decided they were going to try to catch a world record. And they came as close as anyone ever has. I don't think mm. they're on the trail anymore. As a matter of fact, I was watching the World Series of Poker uh, a few years ago. And there's a guy sitting at one of the featured tables, you know, with, with Phil Hellmuth mm -hmm. or one of the other poker giants. And he's wearing an Eric Dickerson jersey, a, a number 29 Los Angeles Rams jersey from back in the day. And I'm thinking, huh. And they come around, and sure enough, it is, it is Jed Dickerson playing in the World <laughs> Series of Poker. So I thought that was cool. That's my, um, that's my obscure uh, trophy-chasing superstar moment. Yeah. And, and I guess, I mean, at least the story, right. And, and these guys that were chasing it, right. I don't think we at least we don't believe that they intentionally, I mean, we believe that fish at least appeared to take a swipe at his white jig and he was at trying, not trying to snag it. Right. Like, I mean, because I don't know, because they knew, That's... I mean, they were smart enough that they knew if they did not hook it in the mouth, it wouldn't have been legitimate. Right. So, well, or maybe not. Okay. What are your thoughts? Uh, uh, well, first of all, the report was that obviously uh, Weekly's got his eye on that jig. It was a, a white or very light colored jig right. sitting in that bass's bed. And he said when he couldn't see the jig anymore, he swung on the fish. Sure. And he foul hooked it. Now, there were witnesses. A lot of people knew that fish was there. As a matter of fact, they had all they had been out there the day before, but another angler was camped on that fish. And and Dickerson or Weekly or Wynn one or multiples of those guys offered that guy like a thousand bucks to give up the spot and he declined. So the next morning, and he sat on it until the, the lake closed, Dick, Lake Dixon closed. So the next morning, uh, the triumvirate, Dickerson, Wynn, and uh, Weekly are, are out there first in line to get their boat, rental boat in the water, get their trolling motor, get all their stuff out there. And they're camped on that fish. But there are other people who are aware of the fish watching them. So... You know, I'd like to believe that if the fish was foul hooked by those guys, that they would have released the fish and, and tried again. But, um, you know, it's the old, it's like the old saying, you know, uh, how big was that fish you caught? He said, well, it was seven pounds. It would have been bigger, but there are witnesses. <laughs> and, and you like to think people are going to do the right thing, but, but sometimes witnesses force them to do the right thing. Sure. And they almost <clears throat> submitted that fish for record consideration and kind of only – only days or weeks later decided not to. Yeah. Well, I mean, they, they came right out on the dock and said that they snagged it, you know. But uh, they had the, to. Yeah. But the story that I heard, and it, it doesn't veer far off of what Ken just said, is that, okay, so this fish was in like 15 to 18 foot of water. This is bedfish, especially big bedfish in California, spawn deep. Uh, if you find one in less than 10 foot of water, that's, it's abnormal. Um, and so 
I mean, you really have to have good glasses. You have to have the sun at the right angle. You have to be at the right angle with respect to the sun. So you're not casting a shadow down into that deep water. And, you know, you're watching this fish on this bed. And you're, that's why they fish a white jig, at, especially in that deep of water, is so they can keep their eye on the jig. <laughs> and what I heard was that they saw the, the, the gills flare, the line jumped, and he set the hook. And when they got the fish up to the boat, it was snagged in the side. And I can't fault, if that's the way it happened, I would have done the exact same thing. Gills, gills flare, line jumps. What do you do? You set the hook, even if you're not looking at the fish. <laughs> if, if if I knew the jig was down there in the bed and I couldn't see it, I'm setting the hook too. So yeah, I'm I'm not casting any aspersions upon them setting the hook that way. Yeah. What I hope is true is that had they foul hooked the fish, and there not been witnesses, that they still would have uh, have done the right thing, and I and hopefully they would yeah. have. Um, the California chase back in the day, Rich, was amazing. I had a chance to go out to Mission Viejo uh, oh. after George Coniglio, a resident there, caught a 19.7. This would have been in 2005 or six. Yep. And uh, Mission Viejo is like 70 acres. It's a uh, community only. If you don't live in the community, you're not allowed to uh -huh. fish there, but that doesn't stop everyone, of course. And uh, everybody has a friend that lives on Lake Mission Viejo. Exactly. Exactly. So <laughs> I fished Mission Viejo at least a dozen times. So it gets a lot of very intelligent fishing pressure. And to Terry's point about these deep spawning fish, uh, I'm, I'm out there with, with George Coniglio. And I'm also out there with a guy named Joe Everett, who's caught multiple fish over 15. And Joe fishes out of a glass bottom boat. He's essentially got a, um, a, flogger. a flogger. Yeah, he's fishing in a <laughs> flogger. And... <laughs> And, and, and we're looking at washing machines in 20 and 23 feet of water because the bass spawn on top of the washing machine that's been discarded. It's the craziest thing. For a guy from Florida, that's crazy stuff. <laughs> now, there's probably only one or two washing machines in, in the whole lake. That lake is pristine or was pristine. There is a was... pocket. If you leave the marina, go up the lake about two thirds. There's a pocket on the left. There are multiple washing machines. <laughs> Probably put in there for fish to spawn on. <laughs> yeah, as soon as, as soon as somebody saw one bass spawning on one washing machine, they dumped. It's the washing machine pattern. <laughs> it is. It is. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, uh, Mission Viejo, it would have probably, well, it, it definitely had a world record in it. Uh, and then they got that golden algae bloom. And that killed every fish in the lake. And that was in 2010 or 12 or something like that. But it's horrible. Um, you know, he, he, there were guys out there. Troy Folkstead used to fish it quite a bit. Uh, and, uh, you know, the, the, the two guys that, that uh, Ken mentioned, they weren't even reporting, you know, fish in the 15, 16 pound class. It was stupid. Here's a little trivia for you, Rich, and I don't think Terry even knows this, but maybe, yeah, I bet he does, um, actually, because he would have been paying attention to crazy stuff like this. But the fish that George Coniglio caught that weighed 19.7 pounds made the cover of Bassmaster Magazine when I was yep. there. Mm -hmm. And then a couple of years later, Joe Everett caught the same fish, mm -hmm. but it was in decline. It only weighed 16 and change. That also made the cover. 
So right. I, I don't think there were many bass that made the cover of Bassmaster magazine more than once at different stages in their life. Um, that was a famous except for fish. Dottie. I was Dottie. gonna say Dottie was one of them. Dottie was Dottie was one of them, yeah. and it made it three times. It made it when Mike caught it at 2012. It made it when Dickerson was it always it. on the cover? Caught, caught. Yeah, was yeah. it always on the cover? I, I know that. I know that the Coniglio uh, Everett fish was on the cover both times. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. You. You, you might. You might be right. I, I just figured that Dottie was a cover shot all three times. See that that's Terry and I's battle. We both want to be on the cover of, of Bass magazines as podcasters. That's our goal, Rich. Mm, good luck. <laughs> yeah. Maybe Bass Times. Ken, Ken Maybe actually ten years after you make it will Ken we'll would rather be the here. centerfold, I think. <laughs> so so Dottie was on was when Mike caught so what was your record? Dottie was on the cover twice or just once? I think Dottie was on the cover twice, and I unfortunately one of the times it was on the cover, it wasn't even the main image; it was an inset image, sure, uh, which is a travesty. But well, that's 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 uh, those are enormous injustices for another show <laughs> where, where I lost I lost battles. So, question: like we don't know if Dottie was actually ever legally caught. Ha <laughs> ha. Well, I assume when Dickerson caught the fish that it was... Okay, Dickerson caught it once. Okay. Yeah, Dickerson caught it at 21 and change. Okay. Yep. And I, I'm assuming that was a legit catch. I have no reason to believe it was not. Sure. And, and, it, and it, as far as the weekly catch, that's a legit catch. It's just not a catch that the law allows for record consideration. Sure. I would go a step further, and I'd love to hear what you guys say about it. I would say that if weekly legitimate caught the fish wasn't trying to snag it just just saw the gills flare set the hook wound up reeling the fish to the surface and grabbing it i am okay with that being the world record hmm. that's tough because i've definitely i mean obviously never a 25 pounder or a 20 pounder or even a 10 pounder but definitely have swung on fish in tournaments on beds that i've released but i wasn't trying to snag them Right. So I feel like I, right. I I see where you're going, but I don't think I could stand behind that just for like, I guess. And that may be just my judgment based on tournament rules. And yeah, but, and but, kind of but what happens? OK, let's say you've got a, a three pound smallmouth on a jerk bait and you hook him on the, the, the front hook and the other two hooks, you know, get him in the side or the gill plate in the side. And then he shakes his head, throws that mouth hooked hook. And you bring the fish in, and he's snagged on the side with two other hooks. Yeah, but I, I wasn't watching him eat. I mean, I didn't try to, right? Like, I didn't watch him eat the jerk bait to begin with. Right. You know, so is that is that the rule? Is, is well, it only in California, it's silly because, like, it doesn't matter whether you can see him or not. So that's even. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's it, it typical California. What an interesting turn to the conversation. I had a conversation today with uh, someone whose name has come up in this our discussion already and uh he was telling me about a potential share lunker fish that had been caught on an alabama rig hmm. which is not surprising since a lot of guys are using forward facing sonar to chase these big fish now anyway <laughs> you know you're going with this yeah the fish wound up by the time the fish was boated there was not a hook in the mouth there were five hooks only... in it none of them were in the mouth <laughs> <laughs> i don't know how many but yeah exactly none of them were in the mouth well not only is um is the guy's fish not going to be 
given Sherlunker status, they're considering prosecuting the state is considering prosecuting this guy for no. having, having harvested this fish and submitting it to the program when it was not caught in a sporting manner and, yeah, and i was I'm trying to you know, holy they, mackerel these guys reached out to me and, and said hey can we rewrite this how would you rewrite this reg to avoid this problem and so i i, I took a shot at, at reworking the reg uh, a rare opportunity to show off my uh, my skills in my former life as a lawyer, and uh, and and see if there's not a way to kind of try to salvage the situation. I, yeah, I, I think bizarre. I think that you make it to where you can only have three hooks on on an A rig. That doesn't get around your your problem of of foul hooking the fish. No, it doesn't. But you know, uh... the Minnesota rig. Yeah, we only got one hook. Hey, you yep. know what? You're you're limited to one hook. Uh, it, for anybody who thinks Texas is going to produce a record, and you got your forward-facing sonar, and you've got the the new dotty in your sights, uh, if you want it to be recognized as an IGFA record, which is the major record-keeping organization right now, uh, you better not have more than one one bait on that Alabama rig with a hook in it. Otherwise, IGFA will not recognize it. Wow. So you got to use Rich's Minnesota rig. You can't use Terry's Tennessee version where they allow three. Interesting. I didn't know that. <laughs> Stick around, Batiste. I'll teach you something. <laughs> Thank you. A couple more ice cream seasons and I'll be uh, be ready. I'm pretty sure the <laughs> weekly Dottie was not submitted for anything, Lake or otherwise. No. no. Uh, and, and I got I got to I got to rub Terry's nose in that the one time I knew something he didn't. That doesn't happen, Rich. That doesn't happen. <laughs> Holy crap. Well, I mean, it, it's embarrassing because you see that picture in every single magazine and they have it captioned as Mac. That's that's crazy. That's a mistake. That's uh mm -hmm. that is uh Mike Wynn, also known as Buddha. Yep. And um uh, yeah, that's just they're it's weird because like whatever like it, it i think it it, it might have come down to like that whole situation on the dock it's like well right it's like we want to show this fish off but i swung on it and i didn't catch it in the mouth and i think there was probably, I don't know, probably how can you down. imagine the shit that was going on in their head at the time i mean they've got the world record they know they've got the world record they want to show this fish off but they know that they've snagged it i mean it, that, that just had to have been a crappy crappy situation um you know just horrible. I, I, I would have hated to have hated to have been in it. And you know, it, it, it also raises a bunch of other issues too, because I'm sure those guys did not want to kill the fish. And they didn't kill the fish. They released the fish. The fish was found floating dead a couple of years later. Yep. Um but but if I catch a world record bass, I'm gonna do everything I can to keep the fish alive, but I'm not gonna turn it back into the lake. That fish ain't going back in the in the lake. That fish is going to go in the largest cooler or tub or tank I can find, and and then it's either going home with me or it's going someplace that I absolutely trust. I'm uh, selling it to Johnny Morris. And and that's obviously probably where you're going to get your your biggest bid right there. Yep, it's like going to Johnny Morris comfortably in Springfield, Missouri, for the rest of its life. Oh yeah, well, that's what the he, first Sherlunker bass did, Ethel. Ethel. Yep. I yep. saw Ethel when I was a kid. I remember that. Did you? Well, you know, and, and I, I don't know. There, there might be some higher bidders because there are some uh, private 
uh, hatcheries out there that are trying to grow gigantic fish and sell the, the fry to various outlets. And, and at least one of these is owned by one of the richest men in America. And I'll bet you he, he just might outbid Johnny Morris. Maybe they could get a, a, a cooperative, Anymore. right? Well, you can display it on tank for nine months of the year, but then I need it for uh, three months of uh, egg harvesting. <laughs> yeah, it, that would be an interesting bidding war. Um, but I would not want to do anything with I would guard that fish with my, you know, myself until I had spoken to both Johnny Morris and this guy, because I got to believe that, that one of them is going to offer me seven figures for that fish. So if, if anybody catches a world record bass, they don't know what to do. You can email Ken at the big bass podcast.com. There you go. <laughs> take it off your hands. <laughs> I, will, I will take care of you. We will. Well, it, it, so then what happens if you catch it in Texas? Because you definitely want it. I mean, in my opinion, and I could be wrong. I mean, Barden would definitely know what to do with it, but just knowing what, you know, the, the Texas share <laughs> folks have at their compound. Oh I mean, yeah, they would, they, be able, they would be able to take it, but now is okay. Are you going to charge Sherlocker now for, for taking it? For you know, you can have that fish for five hundred grand. I'm uh, not giving that fish to Sherlocker. I might, I might allow them as long as it's in writing and they understand that I'm not donating the fish to Sherlocker. I might let them house the fish, keep the fish. I might even let them uh, allow photography and stuff like that of the fish. But that fish would never belong to them. Uh huh. And um, no, I would, I would, uh, and I would absolutely call Steve Barden, and I would say, Steve, buddy, help me out here. I got a, I got a 23, 24 pound fish. Let's, uh, let's do this right. Yep, absolutely. Hmm. Yep, Barden's a real deal. I, that, that, I call him a kid because he's what thirty-two years old or something. No, like he's that. thirty-six, but that's thirty-six. Still, well, he looks still like a kid to me and Terry. Yeah, exactly. Um, um, yeah, he's he's incredibly he's knowledgeable. His, he's got his stuff together. Yeah, and folks, this is this is who Terry and I decide who we really like. He subscribes to the Big Bass Podcast. That's important. <laughs> Which, right? people can do i guess we haven't talked about it, but like what what uh what's the preferred way for people to check it out like youtube download on your favorite podcast app like go All to the, the website i think we're on every podcast platform and we're also on youtube yep. if you want to go to stitcher or uh apple podcasts or uh spotify instagram we're on all that stuff yep and then the website, you know, has all the state records for smallmouth, largemouth, and spots. Um, it's got world record, uh, world record list, uh, and then the calculator. Uh, now, this calculator is only good for fish over 14 and a half pounds. It's a model that I developed back in 2005, 2004 for In Fisherman magazine uh, to essentially debunk the Leah True fish. And uh, I used 67 fish, uh, the, the data from 67 fish, some from Cher Lunker, and uh, quite a few from Larry Botroff, San Diego. Uh, and that included, you know, some Mike Longfish. Uh, I left three fish out of it. I left the Duclos fish out of it. 
I left the Perry fish out of it. And I left the Leah true fish out of it when I did the data regression. Uh, because if I had put those, that, that data into the model, it would have, that data would have affected the outcome of the model. So I wanted to use 67 fish, uh, leave three of them out so I could test the model. And uh, it ended up coming out pretty damn good. So, in, in fact, Steve Barden and I and some of his interns, uh, which are kids working on master's or PhD thesis right now, uh, we're actually going, it's been published like eight times in fishing magazines, but it's always been my desire to have it published in uh, the American Fishery Society Journal. And uh, so with the help of Barden and some of his interns, we're going to get it published in AFS here nice. probably, hopefully in the next six months to a year. So nothing's been done like it before. Everybody else that does these models, uh, they always look at it in one certain way. And me being an engineer and not a fisheries guy, I look at it from an engineering modeling standpoint. And uh, Barden was kind of, uh, he thought that was pretty cool. Hmm. And all the, all the math is there if they want to, if anybody. All the math is there. You can go check it out. You can, uh, if you dispute the math, you can uh, email Terry at the Big Pass Podcast.com. You can get you can get your calculus on, baby. <laughs> I, I'm I'm not a math guy, Rich. When you know, why would I want to solve for X when they keep changing it? What the hell? <laughs> you know, I'm not going to play that game. Well, what we were solving for was X, Y, and Z, three yeah, three I, unknowns. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> Terry's very guess- smart. Also, no, I just... he's the brains of our operation. We, we kind of oh, hey, the big bass or bass hey, there's... archives, which there's... has been your project long before the uh, big bass podcast. So why don't you give us just a yeah? Well, up in so I, I you know I've been uh, enthralled with the history of bass fishing since I was a little kid. I I grew up in a tackle store. It was an old school tackle store. The owner was actually from Jacksonville, Florida. Um, and, uh, he started bass fishing in Florida. Then in the fifties, when he moved out to California, he started bass fishing out there. And in this old school shop, I mean, we had, you know, old rods and old reels. And I'm talking about stuff from the, the twenties, the thirties, the forties, it was just decoration. Um, and so I was just always thought that stuff was cool. And, you know, here I am a 14 year old kid and, and these, 50, 60, 70 year old guys would come into the shop and tell stories and about the old days, and all that crap. And I just always loved it. And, you know, growing up tournament fishing down there and following everything that was happening at Bassmaster, et cetera, you know, I just, for some reason, my mind remembers things that have to do with bass fishing. And uh, back in 2012, I started the site initially. Uh, it, I ran it for three years until my job just got to the point to where I was, I was gone 300 days a year on travel. Look at that picture of Rick Klon. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so that's, I think, 1977 Bagley's ads. Um, and uh, anyway, so I ran it for, for three years and took it off the internet. And, and uh, I changed jobs in 2019. I'm not traveling as much as I used to. Bass, a couple friends contacted me, Bass Fishing Hall of Fame, asked me to uh, 
put it back up on the net and I was getting ready to, to do it. And, and so I, I put it back up and now we've been running since March of 2021. So two and a half years now, or two years, 700 and some odd posts, close to 800 posts. Uh, we post uh, Monday through or Sunday through Friday. You know, I take Saturday off. If I post something on Saturday, it's usually to the Bass Fishing Archives YouTube channel, which I've neglected. I need to do more with that, and I plan to in the future. That's your but, younger uh, brother, Terry. Hey, yeah, that's that's actually so. That was in that's my 2004 Bass Cat. So that was 2004. So yeah, it was about 20 years ago. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, so I, it, the the site covers the history of bass fishing uh, from 1881 when when uh, James A. Henshaw wrote the book, the 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 book of the black bass, all the way to you know stuff that might have happened four or five years ago. I con I'm concentrating primarily on the 70s and the 80s because mm -hmm. that's where. You know, when, when you talk to people these days, that's what they think the major part of the history is. Um, and it probably, I would have to say that it is because Bass was, you know, Ray Scott came out with Bass in 1968 and yep. it really took hold in the mid-70s and and it ballooned in, in the 80s, big time. But uh, yeah, my goal is to, you know, is to cover the entire sport. And if people read... Uh, the website, uh, go to the website, uh, and they see something that I haven't touched on, leave, send me an email, drop me a note in the comment. Uh, I'm always interested in, in, in covering things that I may have forgotten or may not know about. So, yeah, it's, it's a fun project. It keeps me busy. And, and Terry's going to start a podcast for BassArchives.com here pretty soon. Yeah. So I actually, you know, I have the YouTube channel. Uh, and I, I, you know, talking like this with, with you and Ken, I have no problem, you know, talking to a camera. It's when I have to get by myself and talk to a camera, uh, it, it doesn't work out that well. Um, so that's one of the reasons why I've neglected the YouTube channel. But if you guys have ever heard of Lewis Manetti, mm -hmm. uh, Lewis made the classic this year through the college ranks. Uh, and he and I hit it off uh, on media day this year. Uh, love Lewis. He, and Lewis, you know, for being a 23, 24 year old kid, he's a history buff and he loves the history and he loves to learn about the history. And uh, we just, you know, kind of hit it off. And I said, Hey, would you want to, you know, be my second hand, my right hand man, you know, uh, on the Bass Fishing Archives podcast. And for whatever reason, he said yes. And uh, so we're going to we're going to put some stuff together once he, you know, gets done with a couple of opens here. Uh, you know, I told him, it's like, you got to concentrate on your fishing. This podcast can wait until you've got some time to 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 do it. So. Very cool. He's got yeah. like the same hair, so it makes sense. <laughs> oh god thanks <laughs> no thank you rich for that one that was that was very nice nicely done sir uh, uh nicely done so do you think state records hold much value 
Yeah, the Georgia state record's worth a lot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but otherwise, no, probably not. Um, mm-hmm. I think it really depends on the angler, right? To, to a I great mean... degree. Abs- I agree with you. To a great degree, it does depend on the angler. I mean, if, if Bill Dance catches a, a state record, you know, a state record largemouth out of Tennessee, his home state, that's that's going to be a big deal. It's going to be a lot of press. Yeah. Uh, his sponsors will love it. And that's that's a great thing. But for the most part, unfortunately, the state records are not worth a lot because right now there are no significant bounties out there for any of them. And uh, they don't get the kind of, of attention you need to appeal to a, um, a major manufacturer or something who'd be willing to, to bankroll something. So but on the other hand, if you're a guy that is catching, you know, multiple big fish in your state, uh, you know, it may not be worth tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands or, you know, even thousands of thousands of dollars. But I mean, you know, if, if you got a, a guy that's catching big fish consistently in one state, there may be some local tackle company or, or someone that wants to, you know, help them out, but it ain't going to be worth much. And, you know, it, following up on terry's comment there a guy like josh jones who is catching all those big fish out of texas and guiding for them and and i think he says he's charging two thousand bucks a day yep if josh jones catches a new state record largemouth uh his daily fee bumps up to four or five thousand dollars a day for as long as he can get it and Mm -hmm. and that would be another way for him to cash in but as far Mm -hmm. as um as far as some major manufacturer getting behind you and really promoting it ain't gonna happen i don't i don't think that's in the cards yeah, I think it had to be somebody that was already like either doing content already, they're a guide or they're a tournament angler, yeah. and then that just takes like and escalates the trajectory they're already on, right? Well, and that's how Oliver Nye, you know, built his deal. You know, he was catching big fish consistently. Um, you know, he has one of the biggest fish casts to catch uh, on on video. You know, that's seventeen nine five. I think it was out of Don Pedro. Um, he recorded that whole thing from cast to catch. He's got a bunch of eights, tens, twelves that are, you know, on video. And, and that's how he's made his, his living, you know, for the past 10 years. So this is actually, I'm pretty sure Jeremy Pratt just reposted his video fishing from like a kayak or a canoe. And he catches this really, I mean, obviously a nice fish, probably eight, nine pounds, something. I mean, uh, caught on a swim bait. Uh, but of all people, you'd think he would know to, to always have a scale in your, <laughs> of all the people, right? Like that should know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. I, I, I've been fishing for hell 45 years. Seriously. I still go out. I, I leave my boat or leave my net out of the boat sometimes. You know, I mean, it, it, yeah, you, you just have a brain fart every once in a while or, oh, crap, the scales, I need new, new batteries in the scale. You take the scale out of the boat, you take it into the house and you forget to put it back in the boat. I mean, yeah, everybody makes stupid mistakes. But so uh, Ken Knutson, I think it was, asked mm-hmm. a question about the fish out of Minnesota. Yeah, uh, I, I hadn't heard about that. It's actually, I'm pretty sure it's Jeremy Pratt reposted just recently in a minnesota it's been on his youtube channel for like a year or so and he just kind of oh, okay the link to it uh, oh okay that's what he was talking about yeah yeah i missed that 
And of course, the state record largemouth in Minnesota eight fifteen, so a nine is yeah. a big deal. That's but, huge. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And of course, I, I bet you every state in the country, with the possible exception of Georgia, has stories about a fish larger than the official world record. Maybe Massachusetts. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, maybe Massachusetts doesn't have one at fifteen eight. Good point, Rich. Thank you're exactly right. Those would be the well, two states. And there's one, a, a there's a guy from Massachusetts that hit us up today uh, on the Big Bass podcast on the on the YouTube channel. He left a comment, and then he left a bunch of comments uh, on our Facebook page that he knows of a thirteen and a half that's come out of there and a bunch of fish over ten. And he says that there has been reports of a fifteen and a half that's come out since that fish was reported in 75. Amazing. And of course we got uh, Bob Stevens, who's a regular viewer of the big bass podcast. And he's saying that, um, that he didn't think it was come out, came out of Samson pond. Well, actually that's something that even the official Massachusetts game and fish website says they're skeptical of, of whether or not Mm -hmm. Walter Balonis caught that fish in February of 75 out of the lake. He claims they think, yeah, ice fishing through the ice, 15 pounds, eight ounces in Massachusetts, for God's sake. Yeah. Um, but even the even the State Game and Fish Commission thinks it's more likely he caught it a couple of miles away and just didn't want to experience the kind of fishing pressure that he would get right. by reporting a, a new state record. Who was the last guy that uh, said he was on here because of the Big Bass podcast? I wanted to thank him. Uh, I kicked was him out. Dustin? Oh, he yeah, kicked he him it, out. <laughs> yeah, Dustin. Thank you, Dustin. Dustin Grant. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Thank you, sir. Thank you, Dustin. And, and and Rich, I hope we haven't killed your audience by being on the show. With we, you. Haven't, we haven't we like haven't diluted it and watered it down, and you know, <laughs> it, it, it's, it's like Terry, what? man. You can't take Terry anywhere. Well, it's nice that you could start to grow your beard out for tonight. That was good. Uh. <laughs> That's only about three days' growth for him. For me, it's months to get this. Yeah, I'm shaving tomorrow. I'm tired of it. I should, I, I should, what is it? The guy Kyle that follows us on uh, YouTube told me to shave my beard. I look like Mr. Doubtfire. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I've, that this has been four months. Old. This is four months old right now. So I'm cutting, shaving it again. Sorry. <laughs> so I, I know you guys have had some discussions about this, but I mean, oh, man. I don't think you can absolutely say this for sure, but what do you, what do you, what do you, I mean, based on your research, what do you feel like we're talking about here for a true Northern? I thought the biggest northern ever was a 14-pounder caught out of Round Valley Lake in Northern California in 1948 until the whole Massachusetts thing, you know, that 15, 15, whatever it was. 15-8. 15-8. And and then we have a 16 caught out of North Carolina slash Georgia um, that we reported on Presley. In 1976. Yep, and so, and so, yeah. which is not uh, crazy. Like, not naturally a Florida bass there, but like bucket biology is not a big leap to get there. So right. it's hard to say. Well, but right. then Ken exactly. Ken, re- Ken reported in the uh, the podcast that we did on uh, the King of Texas that they yeah. actually they had a lake there that had pure Florida strain in it in the forties. Right. So yeah. Medina or Medina Lake. Medina. Medina Lake in Texas back in the 30s and 40s was consistently producing uh, giant bass, fish over 12 pounds, when nowhere else in Texas had them. 
and it was winning every field and stream big fish contest in the era. And it wasn't until when, when some rough fish got in the lake, I guess carp, gar, stuff like that, they wrote and owned it and killed everything in it, Rich. Everything. <laughs> Only to find out later that those fish that were in there were, were Florida strain bass. And that's why they were doing so well there. So Texas killed the one place that had gotten them through some bucket biology, as you say, only to later spend millions of dollars to bring them in uh, by paying the, the fine people in the state of Florida for them. Hmm. <laughs> uh, and that, yeah, that's nuts. So, I, so back to your question, what's the biggest northern? I don't know. Don't know. Uh, that's why we would love to have that scale from the Indiana fish. We, if anybody knows where the Presley fish or the the uh, the why can't I remember his name the Balonis? fish mass Balonis. Yeah, Walter Balonis yeah yeah it, we would love to get skills from those fish because we now we have the ability through Steve Barden to get DNA analysis done and tell us what that what those fish were actually we have a few opportunities to get that done not just from from Stephen Barden uh, right. but also from the, the the wonderful folks at Titan Bass. Yeah, uh, uh, Stephen Wisdom and, and his colleagues there, uh, but yeah, this is let's put out a hella bass, all points bulletin. Uh, anybody who can who can put us in touch with the owner of the Walter Balonis mount, uh, or the David Presley mount from his fish from 1976, uh, from the Georgia North Carolina border, uh, we would love to dig into those fish quite literally, and and find out what the genetics are. Nope. And if you can do it, Ken will give you a Big Bass Podcast hat. I will. I absolutely will. There's only two that exist. And and, and neither Nathan nor I have one. And I have both of them, Rich. I have both exactly. of them. How come you're not getting doing what the cool kids are, rolling out merch, Ken? Well, that's because we have approximately four subscribers right now, Rich. It's not true. You just told me you had 1,000. <laughs> we, have, we have like 1,030-some. And after your program here, we might be up to four or 5,000. Uh, or, or you might be down to five hundred. Ouch! <laughs> it's like, oh my god, you that. guys are fools. <laughs> We're killing Rich's show. We don't want to drag Rich's show down with us. That would not be good because oh. he's got he's got a serious following. But uh, we th we think it's a little early. When should we do merch? You're you're the expert, man. Know. When should oh, when we start merch? Get, if you're in, like, tilt your hat down, like this. People in the chat. Is this something people want? Do they want a big bass podcast hat? Let, let's well, it's, not gonna, it's not going to look not like it. that. It's or, but I'm saying, or whatever, like right? Like, or or the other thing you could do, if here's if our you logo. want a hat, or you, like you could leave a comment on uh, on their videos and their podcast on YouTube and say, hey, yeah, I would like a hat. Let them know. Yeah. Now the people are pointing out that I don't have my own merch yet, and I'm being uh, calling the kettle black. So hey, and, hey, hey. And oh. you've got you've got a big following. You. Could do. I just, very I well. just wear Bradley's merch instead. <laughs> that works. The BFE. <laughs> there you go, Bradley Hallman. Heck of a bait. Love that bait. Yep. And you got heck Gary. You're, you're rocking Gary Dobbins too. So, yep. That ain't bad at all. That ain't bad at Dustin all. Dustin says he wants one. Uh huh. Uh, we can hook you up with Amy at the Print Craft. She could make you your merch. I'm gonna write that down. All right. The Print Craft. Okay. Yeah, I don't do full hats though. We only do half hats here. <laughs> well, see, you can wear a visor, Rich. If okay, I wear Terry. a visor, it looks like a jiffy pop. 
for anybody who's old enough in your audience to remember Jiffy Pop. <laughs> and it, it, the top of his head turns into a flashlight. <laughs> yeah, it's it's not pretty. It's not pretty. Yeah. Uh, so TK Nick Taylor. Nick Taylor. That wow. is one of my favorite bass fishing books. <laughs> awesome bass. Oh, awesome book. I just read it for like a tenth time about two months ago. What is that yeah, about? Nineteen eighty six, maybe Terry. Yeah, it was eighty six. It was right after uh, uh, right after Clun wins the All American. And... Clun wins the All American. It's Blockett and the the kid that made it through the Federation, Danny Korea. Uh, they're brooming together and and fishing that year. And holy mackerel, that that book is really realistic. That um, is the best behind the scenes look at professional bass fishing that I know of. Uh, Tim Tucker wrote a book called Diary of a Bass Pro with Joe Thomas about 1990, 91, somewhere in there. And that's also terrific. Unfortunately, Nick Taylor's Bass Wars and Tim Tucker's Diary of a Bass Pro are both long out of print, but you could probably find them either on eBay or on abebooks.com and they are well worth the price. They're terrific. But but I think Tacklecraft is asking us, do we know a backstory or the backstory? I don't know of any backstory on it. I knew Tim Tucker really well. He didn't write Bass Wars. That's obviously Nick Taylor. Nick Taylor did not do a lot of fishing writing. And I don't know the backstory on that. So I apologize, Tacklecraft. That's that's on me. I don't really, but I do love the book. And if you've read the book, uh, you you know how good it is. Um, But it was was in that 85, 86 time frame that Bass was... I would say it's biggest. Ray Scott was just about to sell Bassmaster to uh, Helen Severe and her uh, investors, yeah. And her investors and and so at that point in time I would say Bass had the highest subscription uh following that that they ever did have. Yeah, I think uh, it was actually a few years later but but yeah, uh they they ultimately cracked 700,000. Right now Bass membership is around 520,000 something like that. Yeah. Um, I would also say that with regard to um, to Bass Wars, some of the coolest stuff in Bass Wars, and Terry's read it more recently than I have, but that was the first place I ever read where Rick Clun said he believed he could will a bass to bite. Yes, hmm. yes. Which made oh, people's yeah. heads explode. Back oh, then. yeah. Yeah, it was all zen and, and channeling and all this weird I love weird Rick stuff. Clun. And yeah. I was a huge Rick Clun fan then before I before I knew the man. Now I'm privileged to call him a friend. I'm a huge Rick Clun fan. He's a wonderful guy and uh, just su- such a remarkable mind. One of the great thinkers of our sport. Yep. Uh, but also some interesting stuff on, on Randy Blockett, as Terry was saying, Danny Correa, who was, a, I believe, a Connecticut angler who finished second or third in a classic. Yes, uh, that was the the '97 classic, right? The Dion Hibden classic. He finished second. No, no, that was. I'm sorry, that was Dalton Bobo. Uh, yeah. Korea finished second or third in, in the, the '86 that, that Charlie Reed won in '86 on yeah. on Nick on Nick Jack slash Chickamauga. Right, right. That's right. Yep. Yeah, and Korea became famous because uh, he referred to fish that wouldn't quite measure as shorts. <laughs> oh, this is New England accent. They were short. Yeah. They don't, um, they don't have R's in, in New England. Uh, we don't have G's in the Deep South. You know, we're, we're, we're going fishing. <laughs> going fishing. 
Uh, uh, but what a great book. <laughs> TKO Fishon. You, TK. <laughs> uh, you must be talking about Rich and Terry. It ain't me. <laughs> Little Rich awesome. suggests a, uh, a Tumblr. tumblr. <clears throat> if you've ever had the pleasure of, of seeing Ken's office, <clears throat> Ken's office has bookshelves from floor to ceiling, and they're like 13-foot ceilings. He's got to use a grabber to get stuff off the upper shelf. Um, and it's books, and they're they're too deep. Uh, it, it blows my library to sh out of the water, uh, and I think I have a pretty good library. Here's my Scotch tumbler. Uh, it is a commemorative world record smallmouth bass tumbler. And if you ever see me drinking on the Big Bass podcast, which hasn't happened lately, Rich, because I actually got pretty drunk in one episode. Uh, <laughs> uh, this yeah, is what he I'm couldn't find his way home. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, this is my incredibly cluttered office. Behind me right here is a replica of George Perry's record fish. Above that is a, a replica of the uh, David Hayes world record smallmouth, as Terry was alluding to. There, whoops. There is uh, a trophy, believe it or not, from the first Bassmaster Classic. Just a lot it's of the figurine stuff. that was given out to all the anglers and the riders. Don't it's a don't figurine. People it's, it's not the, a trophy. There was only the one first, trophy given out at the first Bassmaster Classic, <laughs> the first and Bobby classic. Murray owns it's the that. First, first classic trophy. No, it's not. It's a figurine. <laughs> Ken collects figurines. <laughs> I do. It's that's also true. What do I got? He likes those ones in the jewelry box, and you open it up, and the ballerina spins around. Those are his favorite. I got a lot of. Uh, I got a lot of memorabilia <laughs> in here. Vibes. <laughs> I got a lot of memorabilia. Do you, do you have a ball of monofilament from Zell Roland in there? <laughs> <laughs> no, and you know what? Zell has has stayed at my home many times, and I, I don't say, have probably get Zell's DNA. <laughs> any, I, yeah, if you could, you could probably scrounge around here and scrape up some Zell DNA and find out if he's got any Florida bass in him. But uh, I, don't, I don't think <laughs> I have any. Something else. <laughs> I've, I've got I've got a, a rod Zell gave me that I. I treasure. Oh, Bob Stevens says he doesn't think the world record smallmouth will ever be beaten. Bob, uh, I agree with you. I don't. Well, I'll say. I'll say. I don't think it'll be broken in my lifetime. How about that? I think it will. Unless you're going to die tomorrow. You apparently think I'm going to uh, live a long, long time. <laughs> yeah, I, I actually think it will be. I mean, I there are two lakes, uh, one in one in Idaho and one in California. <laughs> Idaho, Dorshack. Yeah. Don't even start with me. Dorshack. I mean, it, that, it has everything. They're, they yeah. haven't gotten within three and a half pounds of it yet. <clears throat> and the thing is, Ken, the, the the deal about Dorshack is, is that that lake is so remote. It's thirty miles away from Moscow, which is the most populous town in that area, and there's seven thousand people that live there. Okay. It's it's 200 miles away from any population center. And then when you launch your boat, you've got to drive 50 miles one way to get to where the fish are. Okay. Okay, that, that it, doesn't even sound like a fun place to go. <laughs> it, so I had a buddy of mine that, that went there a couple of months ago, and they had two fish over eight, and they had two fish over seven. All right. That, that, those are nice. Those are really those nice, are nice walleye. Nice, I get it. Those are nice fish. 
But at the okay. same, the odd couple of bass fishing. <laughs> wow. Poor Rich. Poor we, Rich. Oh, is, we need to use that for her um, intro music. Poor the Rich is is having to be uh, a, a, a firsthand witness to what all of our conversations are like. This so is like, this like is, when you guys are just like on the phone. When uh, we're on, this is what this we is do. What, this is yeah. exactly what it's like. <laughs> this it's just that this time we're on Hellabass, which is cool. Yeah, exactly. And unfortunately, everybody is witnessing this, and and we will have a lot to answer for. But yeah, this is this is a, a Batiste Duke conversation. That's all it. Yeah. Uh, and and thank you for facilitating this, Rich. And, yeah, this and, is and Rich this is, is going. Great. How do I get these guys off the air? <laughs> They've darkened my studio this, for this two must hours. be stopped. <laughs> but yeah, so. Not many people fish Dorshack, so you've got to have a population of people fishing it in order to catch these, you know, big fish. Now, the other place is Lake Pardee in Northern California. It's actually real close to Lodi, which is right on the Delta, and that lake also has kokanee in it, and I have personally seen smallmouth in that lake over 10 pounds. Now, I've held a lot of 10-pound fish, most of them weren't mine, uh, in my life. So I know what a 10-pound fish looks like. And <clears throat> I swear to you, one day I saw a fish that was over 11. And I'm talking, you know, this fish is spawning in about 12, 13 foot of water. And nothing that we would throw at it, it would even was interested in it. Okay. I hear you. I hear you. So they're out I'm there. I'm waiting. Someone, I'm someone waiting. like you said, is just going to have to luck in to getting one of these fish to eat. So... Fuzzy dice. You should add the fuzzy dice. I'll get out there with oh, a golden God. shiner and catch Did you try a cheese? Did you try drop <laughs> shotting cheese? Drop cheese? shotting uh, cheese. Exactly. Thanks, Rich. Yeah, we were on a cheddar bite. <laughs> well, Look, they wanted, they wanted you to do like Maybe a, a provolone, kind of a white Oh, cheese. it's a sophisticated oh. <laughs> crowd. <laughs> yeah. It's a, no American cheese for these fish. Yeah. yeah. No no sliced yeah. craft American for them. Brie goob on there maybe like yeah oh yeah <laughs> brie and garlic <laughs> if i were a 12 pound if i were a legit 12 pound smallmouth i'd hold out for for fried mozzarella personally although that would be tough to keep on the hook yeah fried mozzarella okay. i love fried mozzarella with some marinara sauce come on yeah. what if come we on. just dug a canal from gobies and dale hall Erie? yep Dale Hollow and opened that pipeline. That might be our best bet at a 16 pound smallie. You know, so many people I've noticed, even on the uh, the YouTube chat thing, Rich, a lot of somebody's mentioned the, the genetics at Dale Hollow. And as far as I know, and this is a big top, I used to go to Dale Hollow every year, uh, at least once, and smallmouth fish because I love the place. But I haven't mm -hmm. been in about 10 years now. Anyway, there's always been a lot of discussion about the, uh, the genetics there because Dale Hollow has produced more than half of the legit 10 pound smallmouth bass ever caught. Right. And as far as I know, nobody's been able to prove that those fish are genetically different than, than your, your other smallmouth that you might find somewhere else. Or, yeah. yeah. Uh, which is kind of disappointing. And, and maybe our, maybe we just don't have sophisticated enough, uh, equipment to determine that. And, and as equipment improves, because, you know, it's only been fairly recently in our lifetimes that we realized that there were a couple of different kinds of spotted bass. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and so maybe one day we're going to find out that the Dale hollow fish are, are truly extra special and they too will wind up being transplanted. So, uh, let me throw this out there. Um, with respect to the different strains of smallmouth bass, not including the Florida strain of smallmouth bass, 
that we covered in an episode. <laughs> That's, um, that's the Walter Harden episode, Rich. Yeah. Florida's was, world um, record smallmouth bass. I've listened yeah. to all of them. <laughs> most of them Thank not you. most of them in my MP3, not most of them on YouTube. But uh, yeah. So anyway, but but Rich, you living in Minnesota, you've probably noticed this. You catch some smallmouth that have red eyes and some smallmouth that have brown eyes. Is that a different strain? That's a drinking. And, the ones with the red eyes they're drinking. Oh, okay. <laughs> but have some you noticed are related that? to rock bass and some are not related to rock bass? I, yeah, I don't know. Well, there's a red, there's a red-eyed largemouth, right? Or right. so, yeah. I don't. I, I've always wondered that. You know, you catch some of them; they have red eyes, and some of them have brown eyes. That'd be mm-hmm. the question for. Well, Barden's really not a smallmouth expert, but some biologists might be able to tell us. Or have they even studied it? I don't know. You know, that, that, that's another interesting thing uh, you guys are alluding to because there's a lot more study of largemouth than there is of smallmouth or spots or any of the other subspecies out there. And obviously that's because the, the largemouth is so widely spread. Um, it's in 49. Actually, there, there's now been a largemouth bass caught in every state, including Alaska. Because a couple of years ago, some guy claimed he caught a very ragged looking, about a pound bass in some body of water in Alaska and this thing looked like it had been dragged from Washington State <laughs> I doubt there's another I wouldn't I wouldn't want to ha- have to take on the task of catching a largemouth bass in, in Alaska why I mean, it'd be like pike fishing up there it would, would it would take forever and I would not succeed but if somebody <laughs> it wouldn't take somebody very it wouldn't with a little bucket biology somebody could definitely grow the state record bass in alaska i would imagine well first you got to get the state to recognize such a fish for a record yeah and and so that would be your first hurdle you'd have to be elected to the alaska assembly and then so that fish wasn't recognized no okay Uh, why there's no bass there's bass in canada they're throughout canada why wouldn't we be able to grow a largemouth or a smallmouth in the the southernmost areas of alaska I think it's because, and I don't know this, I'm not an expert. I don't think they have a ton of, of lakes and reservoirs that ever warm enough for the fish to spawn. That's possible. Yeah, I have no idea. But to your point, like the southernmost part of Alaska is not that far from Washington, is it? <laughs> no, but that doesn't, exactly. mean fresh wa- that doesn't mean there's fresh water there. Right, sure, right. Um. I just don't know. I mean, I, yeah, the, the short answer is I don't know. Nothing a backhoe couldn't fix. That's true. One of my goals, I should, I should, I probably shouldn't say it to, to everybody who's who's listening and watching here because this is a lot of people. Oh, perfect tackle craft. Thank you. Fishing Segway. bucket list. Yes. I assume you were going to tell us your goal, so I brought this up here. So let's... that's fantastic. Yes, you're a genius, man. You you know what you're doing. Uh, would you would you please come on and replace Terry? No, I'm kidding. Uh, one of my bucket lists. Australia, I'll be a guest host. How's that? Yes, you're in. One of my bucket list tackle craft is I want to catch the southernmost largemouth bass in the U.S. I believe that somewhere in the Keys of Florida, there is a golf course pond that has bass in it that have not been killed by saltwater intrusion. And I want to go down there and I want to catch the southernmost American bass. And then I want to go to Maine 
and catch the northernmost American bass. You won't find it in Maine because oh, Minnesota it, actually Minnesota? has the... Yeah, you gotta Minnesota. Go to the tip of the, you got to go almost to where Gussie lives and go up to that little jut on the top of Minnesota. And that's that part the of northern... Lake of the Woods and up there okay. has largemouth bass. Then that that's is what the northernmost. Well, what I was really going for there, what I meant, should have said was easternmost. Uh, okay. And get out there. And then I want to go to Hawaii and catch the westernmost. I just think that would be cool. Hang to out cover, with Maddie Wong. To cover those bases. Yeah, hang out with Maddie. I, I, I got Maddie Wong's cell phone. I'm ready to get you a guided trip out there again. Awesome, awesome. I think I, I think it's not easy to catch a bass in Hawaii, but I know it can be done. They've got a state record and everything. So I was actually in Hawaii two summers ago for four weeks and had so, an opportunity to fish. Are you sure bass the most southern there. bass isn't in Puerto Rico, in the United States? Well, Puerto Rico is not the United States. Uh, I mean, it may be a territory that we recognize and 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 have a lot of influence on, but it's not the United States. That's why I'd say I'm going to Hawaii. It's a territory, but they have governors. They they are not allowed to vote on the president presidential election. Yeah, they um, don't. Yeah, they don't have the vote. I um, I know this because my wife's Puerto Rican. They don't. Yeah, they don't have senators or congressmen. No, it's a territory, but the resident they are resident United States citizens. Yes, they are. My wife does not have a green card. But they're not. Or, but they're. It's not a state. <laughs> not a state. But no. It's I'm a not territory. Sure if it's the Puerto I mean, you might have to do both just to make because sure. if that was the case, Good then Ken would Rich. have to go to Guam. Ken would have to then go to Guam to catch the furthest west. Is that the furthest west that or the furthest east? Furthest east. And what side <laughs> of the international date line is that on? <laughs> but that's a bucket list thing for me. Um, so how close are you to getting all those fish right now? I only need all of them. Four, all four of, them. of them. Yeah, all of them. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to call it Ken's Compass Quest. How about that? I feel like kind, uh, kind Maine, of alliterative. Maine and Minnesota will be the easiest ones. I believe you're right. Florida, ironically, despite that I'm only a drive away from Key West, it would be a challenge. Um, that might be a tough one. Because it's probably not like uh, a municipal public golf course no. so they just let anybody come on those golf courses down in the keys i'm guessing <laughs> i'd have to sneak on with like a a, a spinning outfit eight pound line and a four inch stick worm well you uh, could borrow uh sd bass guy's ghillie suit and go that's a thought yeah. that is a that is an excellent idea rich are you in you and me brother <laughs> i'll help you when it. you come up to minnesota how's that okay fair enough fair enough yeah you can just take a drive down there you know during icast and so here's uh, it's right the there. fun fact is you will need a passport because you have to drive through Canada to get to that part of Minnesota. Really? That is interesting. You can get there uh, by water, but you also technically now in these updated times need uh, a passport to do that as well. I'm in. I want to do wow. it. I, I want to do it. I think it'd be very interesting. Oh. Um, so that's, that's my bucket. Google list. says Alaska is more west than Hawaii. Is that right? Yeah, but... But you're not going to find the bass there. So. I'm not going to find a bass there. <laughs> Look at Bob. <laughs> Come on, Bob. Give me a break here. Tacklecraft's <laughs> in for a tank of gas. For... Hey, man, if gas prices keep going, uh, that might be a significant contribution, Tacklecraft. Yeah. Uh, uh, fine, what... I want to catch a 13-pounder. I don't have a teener fish. And... You know, I've got three fish over ten, but nothing that hit thirteen. So that would be uh, that would be mine. William, 
Ken's Four Corners. I like that too. That's got a good ring to it. Very knowledgeable audience here. They're bringing a lot to the table. Yeah, absolutely. A bunch of good ideas. Maybe we need to do one of these live shows, Ken. <laughs> uh, is Hawaii farther south than the Florida Keys? You know, I'm not sure about that. It probably is. I don't know. But um, I guess initially when I came up with the idea, I was wanting to keep it to the continental U.S. Sure. But in our discussion here, I just started going crazy and I went out to Hawaii. Uh, but yeah, would, would I, Washington I, be the or where? What in the West Coast is the furthest continental? I don't know. Well, Alaska is still part of the continental U.S. Yeah, but right? we determined there's no bass to catch there, though. Uh, okay, but can, that's can, why it would the, take him a long time. It's kind of like. <laughs> How about the contiguous continental United States? Does that make sense? Then I, I just made my job easier. How about that? Yep. Um, just glancing at a map here, not saying this map is properly oriented. It looks like California is further west than Oregon or Washington. Maine is the farthest east. And yeah, I don't know. I don't know what to tell you. Google says it's Cape Flattery in Olympic National Park. Is that Washington? Yeah. Sounds like Washington. Does sound yep. like Washington. Olympic Peninsula. Okay. But see, again, it's got to have fresh water for me to do it this. It does have be, fresh water. I've, I've been to the Olympic Peninsula. There's a lot of water on the Olympic Peninsula. They got, they got largemouth? Yeah, because the islands. So we had another guy on one of our first couple uh, podcasts that actually lives on an island uh, in the Puget Sound. He's, act, he's actually Canadian. And these little islands um, off the uh, San Juan Strait or something like that, that's up there off of Canada, Vancouver Island and that, there's a lot of ponds on those, those islands. And, and he catches eight, nine-pound fish off of them. There we go. Aha. Uh -huh. Look at this. I mean, that, that's a pretty good-sized lake there. Oh, yeah, that. it is. Yep. Dickey Lake? Like Pleasant? Yeah, these are looking promising here. Yeah, those those can do it right there. Um, that's interesting. And, you know, I, I guess I would need to do some research and make sure there are no freshwater ponds on any U.S. embassy property because that would be American soil on oh, some God. level. It'd be easy to get to. You're close <laughs> to Seattle. You wouldn't even have to drive that far with your rental car. This is another another bucket list item for me, Rich, would be, uh, and I've been trying to drag Batisti with me on this deal, but he, he has not deigned to go. Um, on the 4th of July, I want to go to a, a little town in Ohio where the Miami River runs through. And I, on July 4th, I want to catch a bass there because that's where James Henshaw caught his first fish in 1855. And I've told you, you drive up that way, drive by my house, pick me up, and I will go with you. You see, this is this is how the podcast works for us too, Rich. I have to do all the work. <laughs> I have to. You come well, pick me. I'm up. just a pretty face. I'm Vanna. Harry still has a real job, as he told me in an email. So <laughs> I got a real job too. I got a real job. Um, yeah. <laughs> but you know, Terry is just you know he's just insisting that I do all the work, and that's why I do all the talking. In case I'm losing the uh, the survey. Yeah, 29% say Ken talks the most. 21% say Terry. <laughs> Up to 84 boats. <clears throat> all right, all right. 84 hey, boats. folks. 
I, I need a last ditch effort here. I need to get I need to get below no Terry's twice. tally. Vote vote hey vote vote early vote often. Um, <laughs> I'll take the votes any way I can get them, guys. If y'all can can point out that Terry is monopolizing the Big Bass podcast, it would be much appreciated. I'll make sure to screenshot it before I'm done and then post it on Instagram or something. <laughs> That'd be awesome. <laughs> uh, totally unnecessary though if I lose, Rich. Uh. If I lose, no need to no need to go to all that trouble. <laughs> Oh man! You inspired you me to be more accurate in my reporting, Ken. So I just want to make sure I follow suit. Right, what's your bucket list? Oof! For bass fishing. For, for me, it's more about I'd like to go to some of the, like I'd love to like to go to like Clark's Hill or to the Herring Lakes and get in a herring spawn bite. I'd like to go to the Delta and punch mats. I'd like to go to Clear Lake and throw some swim baits. Like just some of the like the more famous tournament lakes. Yeah. Is probably what I'm. Yeah. more interesting like that that's the kind of stuff that interests me the most God, that's a I very just get on like those prolific <clears throat> bites right I, like if kentucky lake came back or like maybe wheeler's the place to go now we're somewhere where you could go and catch 80 bass on ledges in a day you know maybe they all two three pounders or but just get in on those bites sometime that you just hear about that type of stuff that would be very cool and and, and mark menendez better not catch you saying if kentucky lake comes back he he would tell you Kentucky Lake when? ain't gone anywhere and Kentucky Lake's doing just fine. But well, uh, he says it's it's coming back is what he typically says now. But I, I like your goal. The future and is bright, I think, is what he yeah. says. And your goal is very achievable. Much more the so Delta than, than mine. The Delta is probably one of the coolest fisheries in the United States, without mm-hmm. a doubt. Um it, there's just no way to describe it. it's a shallow water fishery, obviously. But you can do so many things there. You can fish current uh, just based on the tidal swings that happen. You, there's, you know, big flipping lakes that used to actually, you know, you look at Frank's track. That was actually a farm at one point until the levees broke. And when the levees broke, it, it flooded. Uh, and that lake or that, yeah, Frank, Frank's track, for example, the 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 water level goes up and down in it. But it, unless you're near the entrances entrances to it you don't get any current in in there um it's just a phenomenal place to go and you you can have a morning that just sucks and you'll get a a tide swing that that either you know an outgoing tide starts going or an incoming tide starts going and you can put 30 pounds of fish in the boat for five fish and literally five or six flips or casts it's nuts That sounds pretty special. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess the other thing I do is I'd like to uh, fish the classic. Ah. <laughs> you see, I set my goals at ones that I know I can attain. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I've, I've, th- I've made the Bass Nation Championship three times and made it to the final day once. So it's not like crazy, crazy. I've, yeah. I've knocked on the door a couple times. So it's mean, not crazy. You got to have stretch goals. I mean, that's not a crazy I, I, I got to divisionals twice. I only fished the Federation two times in Idaho. Both times I fished it, I made the, the team and fished divisionals and got third place in one of them. Uh, unfortunately, actually, it was uh, I got fourth place, but I was third place for Idaho. Right. We 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 swept that right. tournament on the Columbia River. We killed it. I've been um, on the wrong side of that a few times at regionals. Yeah. Right, like 
take seventh in the tournament, but fifth place on the team or something like that. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I mean, it was, we had, we weighed 177 pounds of smallmouth that tournament. And the next uh, state to us was Oregon, who lived there too. We beat them by 55 pounds or something. I mean, it was a route. Nice. Um, and then the first time I fished the Federation, uh, went down to the Delta uh, for divisionals. And I, I was leading it for Idaho the first and second day. And, but I was like, I want to say I was 10th or 11th in the standings going into the final day. And I had a bad third day, killed myself. And some dude on the team weighs in a seven pound fish and beat me by a pound. Hmm. I killed it. Just don't want to cry. So never got the nationals. So my hat's off to you. Cool. Well, this has been awesome, guys. We are a little over two hours and twenty minutes. It's probably getting it's getting close to midnight in the so east. So we're at coast the midpoint, here. right? Yeah. So we're like half. We're going to take a break, yeah. and then uh, we'll come back for another two and a half hours. What, is the wild game still going on? I don't even know. It went till one a.m. the other night, double overtime. Um, but that's been yeah. fun. Uh, actually, uh, TK and I tacklecraft. He came on once, and we went four hours and fifteen. We went from eight till. 12 15 central holy crap so you're challenging wow. us you're, you're throwing down the gauntlet is that what you're saying you don't think I'll, I'll, i should warn you terry batisti now will get on the phone at 11 and talk until four or five there you go and i'm not joking Ooh, it's that bad good. yeah <laughs> six to three dallas yes i don't have to worry about checking in on the wild one <clears throat> uh anywho all right well, I, I think Rich might want to go to bed. I know I'm I game, probably... but I think I feel like we've covered like we, we've hit a natural spot here where I think we've uh, and I think we'll do it again sometime. And and like clearly we have tons of stuff to talk about and uh, would love to have you guys back on again. <clears throat> and that's been a great time. Uh, so thank you so hey, we, much. We appreciate. Yeah, we appreciate you having us on, Rich. Yeah, it's uh, a big deal for good, us. We appreciate it. We're Hellabass fans. And, and uh, anytime you ask us, we'll we'll do it. Yep. All right. Great. Appreciate it, guys. We'll make sure if you guys came in, <clears throat> think about catching the replay. We covered a lot of ground tonight, whether you're on Facebook or uh, your favorite podcast app or YouTube. And if for some reason you need more stuff to listen to, I definitely recommend you checking out the Big Bass Podcast as well. Thank you. And Bass Fishing Thanks Archives. <laughs> and that's more light reading, you know, that kind of stuff. So, yeah. Um, toilet reading, right? <laughs> as always, here to help you guys catch more Big Bass and suck less. Thanks, guys. As always, thanks to all of you that hung in till the end of this podcast. This has been another episode of Hellabass Bass Fishing Podcast Experience. Please consider sharing this with any of your bass and buddies and friends. This is the best way for podcasts to grow is through word of mouth. Also, don't forget to search Hellabass on Instagram, YouTube, Twitter, or just about anywhere else so that we can connect in more ways. As always, here to help you catch more bass and suck less. <laughs>